few days ago. I haven't watched it either. I'm debating on whether or not to watch it because only two episodes came out this week. I'm debating on whether or not to watch it now or wait until more episodes come out because I think it's supposed to be like an eight-episode right. season. So binge it once it all comes out. Right, but I'm really wanting to watch because <laughs> it looks really good. Yeah. So. Um, it's him training Kate. Yeah, Kate Bishop. Um, she goes parading around as Ronan from... I don't know if you watch any of the trailers or not. She goes parading around as Ronan in the Ronan outfit. And he's like, what the fuck? Because he's just spending time with his family at this point. Because it's post-end game. So right. he's enjoying the family life once again. And he sees the Ronan character bouncing around in the, on the streets of New York. And he's like... I'm not I'm not doing that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so And then everything starts from there. And it, they, they tie in the, this like Christmas theme into like the entire series. Plus... We see a Broadway play going on. I think it's just called Steve, and it's about Captain America. And we just see a bunch of stage actors like doing a musical about Steve Rogers and stuff. And I'm really wanting to see that. Like, <laughs> okay, uh, fucking forget about the Hawkeye series. You need to start doing Steve Rogers the musical. Right. Oh, I'm a scrawny little boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> on your left. <laughs> So yeah, there has been too much. How can I fool my way into the military? <laughs> <laughs> Language. <laughs> so stupid. I'm gonna shit myself if any of this is fucking actually in that little stage play that they do in the Hawkeye series. <laughs> the doctor gave me drugs. <laughs> <laughs> no drug serum so I can stay wholesome. <laughs> I can do this all day. <laughs> and they do the whole sing song number. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy shit. <laughs> um, It'd be super awkward. Like, it's just a scrawny little dude. <laughs> and then you see him get the shot in the arm and. Oh, that really hurt! And then they like slide on a muscle suit. And he's just like his arms are up in the air. Ooh, ooh, ooh. He goes. He goes from like soprano to like super bass after he gets the shot. He's like, I think I might watch the Hawkeye series now because I really want to see what that's about. <laughs> and we just need uh, uh what's his name? Um, the guy that did Hamilton. Oh, Lin Manuel yeah. Miranda. <laughs> we, we just need him to <laughs> need do, him to do it. <laughs> oh my god! I really now that we're talking about, I really want that. Steve, I want all the Avengers like musical musicalized or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Because that would be interesting as hell, like Tony Stark's fucking the Hulk and all that. But do it in like renditions of like famous, like uh, like a famous like Sondheim or anything like that, like West Side Story, any like that those cadence from those oh my, musical. Musicals. Oh my god! <laughs> you That's... do Civil War as West Side Story. <laughs> What's what's the love story there? <laughs> Cap and Iron Man just no, no. holding each other on a balcony. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Who what would be the Sweeney Todd approximation? I think just Ronan. Yeah, probably. Just a Ronan. <laughs> just post post or post post. Post oh endgame Ronan as Sweeney Todd. <laughs> Captain America's five hundred thousand six hundred minutes. That's how long I've been That's ice. how long I was under that ice. <laughs> 525,600 minutes. It's really cold under that ice. Being frozen really sucks, Pat. I need a cup of coffee. Colson was watching the entire time. Oh, Jesus. <clears throat> oh, I'm not even kidding. Disney, you can have that. I'll fucking give you that. I just want to see it. I don't think they can have rent. <laughs> just do a ripoff of rent. Uh, anyway, before we get into the festivities of this week, let's move on to our partnership. I can't get over all these songs that are now running through my head. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of other... like. Oh, Fiddler on the Road. <laughs> oh, if, if, I a rich, if, I, if, if I was a rich man. If I was a rich man. Oh, shit. Uh, I can honestly see Tom Holland up on top of a... <laughs> fucking skyscraper. I wouldn't have to work hard. You did it. Oh my god. Oh, I want all of these rounds. <laughs> Every single one. <laughs> oh, anyway. Let's I would on. say. I would say the uh, the only other one that you could do for that uh, fiddler on the roof that would be hilarious would be uh, Iron Man because it's like if I was a rich man <laughs> oh wait I forgot that I really am <laughs> <laughs> you could easily do that one. For <laughs> It's just a medley. It's not even like they don't have their own. Oh yeah, whole they just stage. have their own songs. They just have their own songs, <laughs> and like everybody walks out while he's doing that. It's just like you jackass, Avengers cabaret. <laughs> yep, that's happening. You laugh, but I'm gonna figure this out, and then I'm gonna get like the the children's like. Costumes, where it's just like the paper mask. <laughs> I'm just gonna do the songs and record them all and give them to you. Just put them up online. We should do it like Hamlet too. Have you ever watched that movie? Yeah. <laughs> where they're trying to put on a musical of Hamlet. We just do it like that. <laughs> Rock me, sexy Jesus. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so anyway, Newsly. <laughs> Newsly, yes. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, we've been partnering up with Newsly, and they are a news site aggregator. It's on iOS and Android phones. You can download it right now just by typing in Newsly. And basically, you can have all the trending topics at any given moment that are on right there. Uh, read to you in a natural calm. It's not like robotic, like a Siri or an <coughs> Alexa or anything like that. It's very natural and smooth. Um, yeah, you can download the uh, uh, basically the web, and it becomes listenable for anything you want to fucking read about. Whether it comes any of the trending news topics, sports, entertainment. On top of having the news read to you from all the your favorite news sites like CNN, MSNBC, they even have Fox News stuff on there as well. You can also listen to all of your favorite podcasts on there as well from over 40 countries, including our podcast as well. Including now, this one. Um, if you want to start a, because whenever you download the app, you just have a basic uh, Newsly app account set up. It's free. You don't have to do anything with it. But if you want to have unlimited skips and tailor your experience to what news articles you like and things like that, you can set up a premium account. And with our promo code, you get the first month free. And our promo code is Nerdinian with the uh, I's and O's replaced with ones and zeros. And it Nerd is Nerd 10N. No, no, it's Nerd 1, then oh, the letter N, N then the 10, number 10, then N. N. Um, so, yes, it's Nerdinian just with ones and zeros in place of the uh, I's and O's. And it's fairly simple. At the point of whenever they ask you if you have a promo code, you just put in our promo code Nerdinian with ones and zeros and you'll get a month free of their premium service and who doesn't like free stuff yeah it's one month free there's no reason not to do it it's amazing service like i've said numerous times while doing these ads the biggest problem we face nowadays is people not reading the actual article this app that takes that fucking out of the equation just read the headline and Move on and, and, and acting like experts in those fucking subjects just because you read the headline and assume and make some sort of like bias bullshit statement. Newsly takes that out of the equation. They will read it to you and it's not in like long like three hour chunks. It's like concise five minute chunks that you will listen to each news article depending on how fast the uh, voice reads it to you. Yep. Um, anyway, if any of that is any at, at, at all confusing to you and you're not sure what the promo code is, just look in the show description, the show notes for this episode. It'll all be right there. You just have to click on the link and copy the a promo code in the show description. You can also go, you can also, <laughs> go to Newsly's website, yep. which is newsly.me. Yep, and everything will be right there. It'll have the links for the iOS store or the Android store, and you just go from there. Yep. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, anyway... Before we get into this movie... Pirates of the Caribbean, yes. Dead Man's Chest. I'm Greg Vance. And I'm Ryan Dowding. And we are Nerdidian, and we go through each of our movie each week. Uh, we go scene by scene, beat by beat, and we just break apart the movie as we talk about the movie, go through the movie. This week, we are talking about Sin City, came out in 2005, and do you remember the effect that this had on our lives, Ryan? Yes. Um... It had a profound effect on our lives with several of our friends, us included, to the point where we got red Converse, we got trench coats, we started walking around as dipshits with trench coats and fucking Converse. It even affected to the point where... To be fair, we were doing that before. So I was wearing Chuck Taylors. Well, yeah, the Chuck Taylors we were all wearing beforehand, but we... we and we had trench coats in... 
But high we didn't school. wear them too much. It wasn't until no. Sin City came yeah. out where we were like, no, well, we're doing no, this all we the did, time. We did wear them. <clears throat> and then I want to say that there was a shooting somewhere. And we were like, okay, let's put these Yeah, it was away. Columbine. It was yeah. Columbine. Yeah, Columbine. We're like, okay, yeah. not, not so much anymore. And then Sin City came out. We're like, okay, now it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> it had a profound, to the point where whenever I was wooing my wife, I take several of the lines from this series I'll point them out when we get to it. A lot of the early ones with the uh, the first short story that we get to in the beginning of the movie. I'll get to them when we mm. when we talk about the lines, but I rip directly from this movie to woo my wife. That is some of the lines that I've used on my wife. It works 100% of the time, Ryan. <laughs> 50% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> oh, man, I should have saved it for the end, but I couldn't because <laughs> it was pertinent. Um, so, Anchorman. <laughs> right? Um, so... This movie, it even had an effect on our wedding. If you remember correctly, the wedding photos I edited, I did a lot of the selective spot coloring and stuff with our photos and stuff. So this movie has a profound effect on me and you as well. Just a style point of view. To the point where I've spent an obscenely amount of money on stupid things, Ryan. Yep. Um, I've got, like, NECA came out with all these, like, figures from the different characters from inside the series. With like Wendy, Goldie, Dwight. I've got several versions of Marv. Uh, the Yellow Bastard, Hardigan. I've got a lot of those characters. I even have a Marv strapped in the electrical chair. Yep. Where his eyes glow red. He vibrates. Now, I know it was a bit loud with the vibration and everything, but what he says is he coughs, laughs a bit, and says, is that the best you can do, you pansies? This movie, I did not realize until I fucking started watching it. I haven't watched this movie in fucking, I say... It's been a long time. Ten years I have not watched this movie, and it's just one of those things where I completely forgot it ever existed. I know I have the figures, and I've got the books. i got all the books. I fucking love the books. I've got this Art of Book by Frank Miller. I've got this that's constantly you know on my desk and shit. But for some reason, the movie never came into my mind because I'll watch things that I really fucking love over and over and over again. Star Wars. Yeah, I know. Star Wars, fucking Marvel, Star Trek, all those things I'll watch numerous times. But Sin City, I realized when I first watched it again this week, I had not watched this movie in a long time. In a long fucking time. And I started kicking myself in the ass. I was like, this movie had a huge effect on my life. Um, before we get into everything, make sure you comment, rate, subscribe, do all the normal things you would with any other podcast. Tell you, tell us you love us. Tell us you hate us. Just go on to uh, tell us the fat man cries too much. All right, just go on to uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any place that you get your podcasts, and just uh, follow us and tell us what you think. If you have not seen this first movie, the Sin City movie, spoilers. That's all we're gonna say. It's been out for fucking over nearly twenty years at this point. Yeah. We're nearing twenty twenty two now. It'll be nearly. 20 years that the movie's been out. Um, and, it, and the reason I think the reason it also had like a profound effect on me is because this movie came out right when I graduated from high school. Yeah. So I was just I had, entering. I just graduated yeah. and um, was in college. And I actually remember going opening night yeah. to Movies 4, which was the local mm-hmm. movie theater, and watching it like at midnight with like my roommates and mm-hmm. stuff. And we were all just like, yeah, Whoa. it was fucking amazing when I first watched it. Um, so it was right at that cusp where I was entering into this like adult world. Well, like I was already an adult; I was eighteen by the time I graduated. So, I was, but I was no longer going to be in school. So I was now entering 
adulthood for all intents and purposes before I had the safety net of being in school and yeah. not be because it's weird because when you're it, in school it hit on it hit on the cusp of you going uh well what am I supposed to do now and people going fucking figure it out yeah yeah pretty much we're yeah. not holding your hand anymore <laughs> yep <laughs> and then this movie came along and it had a huge effect on me um that being said let's get into this movie Ryan um, it was ri- the graphic novel was written by uh, Frank, Frank Miller. Miller. He, he also uh, drew a lot of the imagery in it. Um, I think a few other artists did like covers for like different issues and like the actual uh, book covers that I have. Someone else did it, but he did all the art and all the writing for the characters and shit like that. A side story on this movie: so Frank Miller and Robert Rodriguez also wrote and direct. Well, obviously they go by just Frank's writing in the actual script because if you watch the behind the scenes on this movie they just literally just take the graphic novel and like all right so what does hardigan say and they just rip the lines from the graphic yep. novel there's not a traditional script for this movie um with the exception of a few lines or a few things like manufactured for this movie um we'll get to it when we get to it but for the most part this movie is like 99.8 percent just one-to-one translation yeah um so in order for, because Robert Rodriguez wanted Frank Miller to be on board with this. So the first thing we're going to talk about, um, Robert shot this with Josh Hartnett and the actress that they have in this uh, this opening scene before he even had the rights. There was a, a proof of concept that he was trying yeah, to show was, Frank Miller. This was him going, you know, Frank, I really, really like your work. I want to make it. And Frank Miller at this point has already told people no. Like, yeah, you're he not, was very fucking, he held it very close to his you're chest. You're not. He had several things that he was not. to film, it's yeah. not going to work out. And Robert Rodriguez shot the first scene of the movie as a proof of concept to show Frank Miller yep. to be like, this is like this is what I want to do. Yes, we can do to this. Bring, to bring your uh, movie to the screen. Mm. And... It's what convinced him to do it, mm-hmm. and then they put it as the opening scene of the movie. Yep, because well. it works beautifully. Because they they bookend it with the the hitman that Josh Hartnett plays at the beginning and the end of the movie. Um, but one of the other things is that Robert also wanted Frank to be one of the directors on the flick, but the DGA wouldn't let that happen. So Robert Rodriguez is like, "Fine, fuck it." He tore up his DGA card and walked away from the DGA, the Directors Guild of America. Um, this is one of the several times that Robert uh, walked away from the DGA, but I just remember hearing about that story and was like, that's fucking badass. He just walked away from the guild to basically be like, no, I'm directing it with the guy that fucking created this. Yep. I don't give a shit. Because the rule is, you, if you're going to have two directors on a film, they have to be related. If not, then it's just one person. And so DGA was being yeah, he, persnickety. He resigned from the DGA right. to... Well, at the time, that was the rule. I think the rule has changed since then. Because I yeah. remember hearing about other directors that aren't related directing certain films. Like, I think Bad Boys 3, that one that came out, I believe... There were two directors, I know that, but I don't believe the directors are related. Related, yeah. Um, also, another small trivia fact. I was trying to think if there's anything else before we got to the movie. But another small trivia fact. But Quentin Tarantino directed a one of the scenes in this movie. Yes. For a dollar. The reason he did it for a dollar is because he asked Robert Rodriguez to score some of the uh, Kill Bill movie. And he... Asked, paid him a dollar, and that was just one of those, like, I'll pay you a dollar, you pay me a dollar for some project later on. And it happened to be a scene we'll get to here in a bit from Sin City. All right. Because, obviously, those directors are very close. Close. And they're friends. You can look at, you know, 
Rodriguez's From Dusk Till Dawn yes. for proof of that. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. Um, <clears throat> anyway, this movie has a huge cast in it. Yep. So, and uh, a whole, like, 90% of them are fucking heavy hitters, or at yes. least were at the time. Like, yes. I don't, I don't think that Josh Hartnett has quite the... The star power today that he had in 2004, 2005. Mm, no, but. probably not. Same with Michael Madsen. You don't hear too much about him, but right. at the time he was fucking fairly well known. Um, well, Madsen's more just a inclusion into Rodriguez and Tarantino films. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got <clears throat> Mickey Rourke, Clive Owen, Bruce Willis, Jessica Alba, Devin Aoki, uh, Alexis Bledel. Powers Booth, which I know I keep saying this, but watch Deadwood. He is fucking spellbinding in Deadwood. Um, we got Jude uh, Cicerella. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, Jamie King, Brittany Murphy, who's also big at the time before she died a few years after this movie came out. Right. Uh, Nick Stoll, uh, Rosario Dawson, Benicio Del Toro, Michael Clark Duncan. Also someone else who has also passed away since. I think he passed away in like 2013 somewhere in there yeah <clears throat> several years ago i know that I'm not that much um tommy flanagan rick gomez uh carlo gugino i think that's how you say her last name josh hartnett rucker Hauer, michael madsen nick hofferman um he plays schlub or bert bert schlub one of the two uh the fat boy and little man the two uh hitman that schlub and clump that's their name he plays the big guy. That's Nick, Nick Offerman. Offer- yeah. Nick Offerman? Or- Offerman. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> God damn, he looks like a baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Clark Middleton, Elijah Wood, and then we also get a small appearance by Frank Miller in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we start off with Josh Hartnett, or we start off with uh, a woman in red, and it's all in black and white. <laughs> Well, I was gearing up so, to watch this oh, movie. Another trivia point for this movie. Um, this movie was uh, shot in color, reduced to black and white. Yeah, that's yeah, that's something I was um, going to get to. And then uh, they they did that. They applied the the black and white filter over the colored um, scenes, so then they could pull out whatever colors they wanted to, as. Well, technically, yes and no. So like, what they did is because it wasn't usually like it. So yes, it was shot in color and then they switched it into black and white. But with a lot of the um, like yellow bastard, his makeup was not yellow on set. It was like a light blue. Right. So that way they can just manipulate and key out him in a specific way when he, whenever he's right, black and white. Right. But he's in a different type of shade of black and white. So it's easier to manipulate and everything. Right. So things like that, like... The blood on set was also done in a very specific way. It wasn't like typical like red blood. Some of it is when you see in the movie, but the stuff that's all like white uh-huh. and just pulling out pulling out of people, that's it's not the typical blood. I can't remember what the actual makeup of the actual blood is. It's like laundry detergent and something else. I can't remember exactly. Right. Um but yeah, it's the things that basically become stark white, like Marv's band-aids in the movie, they're like a almost orange pinkish type yeah. thing. Same with like uh Becky's like all those cross necklaces that she has on her, uh-huh. they're all uh, done a specific way. I believe also the swastika throwing knife as well, or throwing yeah, ninja star, whatever the fuck it is, is also done in like a dull orangish pink type thing. Mm-hmm. So that way they're able to key it out 
specifically in right, post. Right, and, and this is the first movie, or one of the first movies, that relied heavily on digital effects to do all of this coloration stuff yes. that we're talking about. There were like four practical sets built for this entire movie. And the and rest was shot in front of a green screen. Yep. And this is one of the first movies that did, like, now it's pretty much commonplace to green screen. Then it was pretty much unheard of. Like, nobody really did it. And this is just when it was becoming, like, a big a big thing. Like, Yeah, because you had the uh, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow that did a the, lot of that, and it looked like the, shit. Yeah, that did it very terribly. Mm. This movie does it really good. You can tell that... Like, it's not an actual city behind them in some shots yeah, and yeah. stuff, but, like, you've already bought into the concept that you know that it's supposed to look, like, comic book stylized. So it's not going to be what you would imagine an actual city to be. I just realized, I can't remember if I wrote down the girl's name that is in the opening scene. I'm not finding the girl's name anywhere. Okay. So I don't remember writing her name now. They might have overlooked it. All right, so the girl, uh, the woman playing the woman in the red dress with the red lipstick in the opening scene is Marley Shelton, um, and I don't think they ever give her a name in the actual story. Um, I think it's just the woman in red. Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, Josh Hartnett walks up behind her. She's like, uh, he says as much. There's, a lot of this is done with like internal narration and all that shit. So he walks up and we hear the internal monologue, and it's basically she shivers in the wind like the last leaf on a dying tree. I let her hear my footsteps. She only goes stiff for a moment, and then he walks up to her. He's like, do you want smoke? Uh, she turns around, accepts the smoke. Sure, I'll take one. Um, <clears throat> and then she straight up asks him, like, are you bored by this crowd? And he's like, I'm not here for the crowd. I'm here for you. And then he says, <laughs> uh, one of the things I have used to woo my wife, he says, you're everything a man could uh, ever want. It's not just your face, your figure, or your voice. It's your eyes. All the things I see in your eyes. And whenever he <laughs> says... This is while he's lighting the smoke. Yes. As he says the word eyes for the first time, you get a bright green yeah, as the as to the, her eyes. The, the lighter gets closer and like basically reaches its max as she which, inhales. Which the fucking... Like, the way that they did the coloring and stuff in this movie. It's so fucking good. It's so good. And I haven't found anything that's done anything... Like, we've had other movies that have done spot coloring. Hell, whenever Frank Miller directed The Spirit, he did a lot of the selective coloring in that. It didn't work that well. Right. I mean, some of the movie's interesting, but it just didn't feel like anything too inventive. No, it felt like he was trying to do another trip to Sin City. Yeah, pretty much. I think after his line of like everything I see in your eyes, I know, and he mentions like I know that you want to run away. I can see all the hurt in your eyes and everything that's troubling you, and I know you want to just share it with someone, and you can't. She turns around, and is like, "Yes, I do," and then they kiss. Yep. Um, and then he says, "The wind rises electric. She's soft and warm and almost weightless. Her perfume, a sweet promise that brings tears to my eyes. I tell her that I love her, and they hold and embrace for a moment, and then we hear." Pew! He's like, uh, what is the line? I want to get it right. Uh, you'll be hearing me like say, oh, what is the line? He says, the uh, silencer makes a whisper of the gunshot. I hold her close until she's gone. And we see him like uh, slowly lower her to the ground as she's like dying in his arms. And then it holds her beat. I'll cash her check in the morning. And then we cut to like a 
big ass like wide shot as it pans away from Josh Hartnett as he's holding the dying woman, and we just see the words Sin City as we hear like all this like crime and sirens and everything starting to happen. We see Frank Miller's <laughs> Sin City uh, appear on screen, and then we cut to the one of the main stories of the entire uh, sequence, and it's uh, um, Bruce Willis in a cop car, and he's uh, saying that he's retiring at this yeah, point. Um, one day till retirement. Yeah, uh, and he's thing. thinking about uh, his wife and uh, about the fat steak she just picked up at the market and all that. And he's talking about how he needs to finish up this one loose end before he can go and retire and live. Uh, he doesn't say as much, but you get the indication that of living a life that he would find unfulfilling in every way. But the only reason he has to retire is because he's got a thing called angina. And his the doctor and his wife both are forcing him to retire because he's not going to make make it much longer if he continues with working as a cop in Sin City. And we should also mention like Sin City is not called Sin City; it's called Basin, Basin City, City. But everybody refers to it as Sin City because it's just uh, rife with crime and corruption. Yeah, there's, and there's literally the only time laws are enacted are to oppress people, pretty much in Sin City. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> we have Hardigan. He's talking about how he needs to help find this little girl, skinny little Nancy Callahan, age 11. Um, but yeah, he pulls up to the docks, and his partner, Bob, is like telling him, Hardigan, get the fuck out of here. Why are you here? There's no reason. The backup will be here any minute. I just called them. We don't need to do anything. Just wait here. And Hardigan's like, no, what the fuck are you talking about? The moment we wait for backup just to get here just in the right time, the girl will be dead by this point. You remember what he does to the girls? Remember all the sh- sick shit he does to these girls? He only takes little uh, 11-year-old girls, so he's going to do some heinous shit. We need to get in there and fucking handle this. And Bob's telling him, like, no, you've got a bum ticker. There's no way in hell we need wait, to fucking... Wait for backup. He's like, if we wait for backup, it'll give him just enough time to finish what he's doing and get back to his senator daddy. Yep. Uh, victim number four. I remember him, the, the way he says victim number four, and I don't know why, but this is the fourth time he's killed a little girl, and Hardigan's not having any of it. Uh, right before he tells Bob basically to go fuck himself, he, Hardigan says, hell of a way to end a partnership. Hell of a way to start my retirement. And then he walks away and is going to the warehouse that he believes that Nancy Callahan is being held in. Um, we cut to Nancy Callahan strapped to a chair. And some creepy man opens up the door, and we just see his silhouette cast against her as she's sitting in the chair. And he's like, uh, we're almost done here, Nancy. You've been a real good girl. Um, our friend's going to be here real soon. He's going to show you a really good time. It's very creepy, very fucking menacing. And, and then he closes the door, and then we see Hardigan again. And he's walking through like this alleys and stuff. And he see, here's two people. I've got the books with me. I want to read some the of the twins. The twins. The fat boy and... Or, Fat man and little boy. So he hears these two characters just pontificating, almost like Shakespearean-like characters. And some of the stuff that they're saying is just straight-up absurd bullshit. Oh, yeah, this isn't the twins. This is the... No, no, the twins is the uh, the kids um, handling Nancy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we have... Uh, yeah, Birch Slub and Douglas Clump, a.k.a. Fat Man and Little Boy. To any dirty job, there is thugs with delusions of eloquency. <laughs> this is a conversation that they have. And for cheap thrills or such short-lived durability, Mr. Slub, you would risk engendering in, in ill will on the part of our employers. Said ill will will be of such 
proportion that it would likely manifest itself in punitive actions of self-seriousness that we would suffer anatomical transfiguration <laughs> most permanent and painful in character this is not to be con- news oh god <laughs> it stumbled over that word um countenance c-o-u-n-t-e-n-a-n-c-e-d countenance I guess. And then they just go on and pontificate just more and more. Like I just said, like Shakespearean like characters. These two fucking uh, schlubby dipshits. Yeah, these these two dumbasses who are using uh, I mean, obviously they're using words wrong, but they're also like in the context speaking, yes. speaking above their station, if you will. <laughs> yeah. that, that might be the best way to describe it. Yes. Like you expect Two big idiots to talk very in broken English, grimy, almost grimy little like street urchins that'll take any job to you know use simple words and yeah. like the boss man gonna kick our ass <laughs> yeah. and not. You realize that the actions that you are now performing will result in punitive damages to us. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Um, anyway, so yeah, uh, Hardigan sees them and he's like, no way, no reason to play this quiet or no, every reason to play this quiet. It's no reason later on. Um, every reason to play this quiet. He walks up, grabs a pipe, hits the big guy in the head. Then we see, I think it's just, uh, Schlub is the little guy. He just sees Schlub, uh, pull out his gun, which is the RoboCop gun, um, <laughs> from the RoboCop films and, uh, comic books. Um, he pulls out his gun and Hardigan immediately cracks him in the face and the way the actor plays it is he gets, he gets cracked, cracked in the, in the face, face and <laughs> <laughs> looks at him like, ow, that hurt. And then just falls to the ground. Um, Hardigan uh, walks away from the car. Now, in the comics, he walks by the car and disables the car, making sure that Junior can't get away in a car whenever shit goes tits up. Um, but he walks past the car. And as he's walking closer to the warehouse, we cut to inside the uh, warehouse that Nancy and all them in are in. And we have the twins standing there right in front of Nancy. And the twin, on like, furthest away from Nancy, he's like, all right, Lenny, it's time to go. He's like, hold on, Kenny. I just want to see. Lenny, is it Lenny and Benny? Benny. Benny. That's it. Not Kenny. Uh, he's like, hold on, Benny. I just want to see if him and Nancy get along well. And then we hear someone off, in the, off to the side. He's like, how can anybody not get along with such a sweet angel like her? He bends down next to her. He tells the, them to go. We then cut to Hardigan outside, and he's having an attack of some sort. He grabs his chest where his heart is. He's like, not now. The doctor said this is how it would happen. Yes, he gave me a pill. Just take your pill, you fucking old man. Uh, You'll be fine. You just need to help save the little girl, and then you can fucking die, pretty much is what he's saying. Just save this little girl, take your pill, and get the fuck out of here. He uh, reaches in his coat pocket as he's just writhing in pain. We see him drop to the ground. He grabs the pills out of his pocket, pops one of them. Which, this is not how pills work, but immediately he gets back he's up. He's fine. Yeah, that's not how pills work. But, yeah, he pops a pill. He's fine. Well, he nitro struggles pills, maybe. Nitroglycerin pills? Yeah. I'm not sure. I've never had angina, so. Do they? I know they give them for, like, heart attacks. Do they give them with angina stuff? I guess they would yeah. to try to open up blood vessels and shit. So, I guess and maybe. And I think that they work pretty quickly. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, he's still, back up on his feet. Still not quite, like... Yeah, I just swallowed it. I'm gonna be fine. It's usually within a it's minute not, or two. It's not like a like a mushroom. <laughs> from it's not like underdog where you take something. He's like da 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 da. It's not. It's not a mushroom from a 
from Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Like, you don't just eat it and... <laughs> right. It's like you got a half hour or so, and you're like, okay, now I'm good. Yep. Uh, yeah, so he gets back up, pulls out his weapon, he walks up to the warehouse, he gets in, immediately shoots one of the... Or both the twins, I think, at this point. Shoots both of them, because we see he shoots the one, the other one reaches for a gun. And he automatic, he walks out the steps, kicks in the door, which he couldn't do. Yeah, like, if he just had he a would, heart attack he, type thing. A, he just had a heart attack. B, he would have like had to run up the steps yeah. to kick in the door with as much force as he... Yeah, does but whatever it looks cool yeah it looks awesome <laughs> both twins pull their guns and you see him just immediately take just, him out like yeah, no hesitation with a revolver yeah just takes him out completely um we then as he's watching them fall to the ground we hear our shot ring out and it hits hardigan in like the side of the arm he doesn't really react to it other than oh shit i just i was shot he turns around and there's junior uh running away with the girl in his arm he runs out well no I think he starts to run after it, but then he drops again. He starts having an, another like angina attack. Because I think he says, "Get up, old man!" Because he's not he's not hot on Junior's trail. Yeah, he. Well, I think that like the reaction of him getting shot was just kind of muted, and he hits the ground again and says, "Get up, old man! Come on, she needs you!" And he overpowers his angina attack. I guess. Yeah. Uh, gets up and he meets uh, Junior. On the docks outside, and I think right away he just like plugs him with a couple rounds right away. Uh, Junior says, "You can't do anything to me. Do you know who my father is?" That's right. You can't even look at your you. You can't even lift that cannon. And he immediately he's like, "Sure, I can." Lifts it up, no hesitation whatsoever. Puts a round into him. I think it's like his shoulder. He drops Nancy. I think it's in the arm that he's holding Nancy, because he immediately drops Nancy because she runs off to the side. I thought. I thought it was, like, along the side of his face. Oh, no, it is. Yeah, yeah, his ear. Yeah, his ear. His ear, yeah. He writhes in pain, drops to the ground. Nancy goes scurrying off to the side. He's on his back at this point, just holding his ear, just writhing in pain with a gun in his one hand still. Um, Hardigan walks up to him, and one of my favorite lines in this, I take away his weapons. both Or take away his weapon, both of them. He shoots off his hand completely, just at the wrist area. Yeah, with shoots his, off his hand. with his gun. Yeah, that he's and, got. Then, uh, and then shoots, he shoots his dick. him in the dick. <laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty fucking brilliant. He rides. Uh, Junior rides in pain at this point, and then as Hardigan's looking down at just Junior slowly dying at this point, we just hear like three shots ring out. Boom, boom, boom. We see Hardigan getting shot in the back several times. He drops to the ground. It cuts to black, and then it immediately reappears. Hell of back a way to end a partnership. Yeah, because it's Bob right behind him, and I love how they do this. Like they cut the black and immediately cut back to the scene that is happening in front of them, because that's what happens in the comic book. Yeah, you'll have the character immediately black out, and then it comes back to what's going on in the comic book. They do that in this movie, where it'll cut back, cut to black, and immediately come back to the action that was just happening. It's only for a split second, but it's what happens in the comic book. I thought that was just a little nice little touch that they added into this movie. Yeah. Because narratively, for a movie, it means nothing. But if you are paying attention, they are adding in like little touches here and there for like comic book bullshit. Uh, it's just uh, Hardigan's like stumbling at this point. He's on the other side of Junior. Um, like he's like staggering against like the uh, pillar for like one of the the edge of the pier that he's like teetering on at this point. He's like. Bob is telling him, stay down, Hardigan. Don't fucking try to get up. I'll plug you again if you do. And Hardigan's like, you're too fat and slow. There's no way in hell you're going to fucking hit me again. You got lucky with that time because you shot me in the back when I wasn't looking. But you're not going to this time. So Hardigan tries to reach the cannon around his ankle. He's like, don't even go for that cannon. Um, Hardigan doesn't listen. He immediately starts going for it. And Bob 
Bob Bob pump, pumps him with a few rounds again. Um, immediately, Hardigan drops to the ground. And then we hear inner monologue while this whole exchange is happening. He's like, I just need to keep him busy long enough for the sirens to get closer. And right when he gets hit by Bob uh, so several keep, times and drops to the keep ground. His, keep his attention on me and not the little girl. Yeah, but then he immediately tells Nancy, Nancy, get out of here, run away. And immediately Bob's like, no, 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 you don't listen to him. He's a crazy man. You stay right where you're at. Um, which is counterintuitive to what he just said about, hey, I need to keep his attention on me and not the little girl. When he immediately is like telling Nancy, run along. Which happens in the book as well. I'm just like... You want him on you, not the little you girl. Can't be on bo- you can't do both. <laughs> right. Uh, Although, I think that it's more a, uh, like, if she tries to run, he'll try to shoot her. But as long as he's still conscious and has the even potential to shoot, like, that's a, that's an 11-year-old girl running away from you. That you want to stop, but you also want to live. So, if you turn your back on somebody that's got a weapon... Mm-hmm. To try to stop this thing from happening, like, you're going to get fucking plugged and potentially killed. Yeah. Bob is basically telling Nancy not to do anything. He looks back over to Hardigan. Hardigan's basically on his ass at this point, leaning against that pillar he was just, like, teetering on. Um, And Hardigan hears the sirens. Nancy walks up to him. He's like, thank you. You saved me. Bob just basically walks Walks away away. at this point because there's no point in doing anything because... Now, the backup that he called is now here. Right, and they're not all on Rourke's payroll like right. he is. Right, um, And we get more of this in the book, and I'll talk about it here in a bit. Or, no, later, whenever Hardigan wakes up. But we do see in the book how there are several people willing to go up against the Rourke family if Hardigan will join them. Well, I'll talk about it whenever we get to that. But it's Nancy comes up to him. Um, he's basically bleeding out at this point. Um, Nancy tells him, thank you, you saved me. And he's like, it's okay, baby. Help is here. Just a few more minutes. I'm I'm getting tired. I'm going to close my eyes. And then we just hear him turn a monologue. He says, an old man dies. A little girl, a little girl lives. lives. Fair, Fair trade. trade. Um, we then cut to Marv's story. Um, and like I told you, Marv's one of my favorite characters. I have several of his fucking figures. I love Marv. He's just a big lug. Big stupid. Um, it's almost like... Um, a uh, nickel heart or nickel head million dollar heart type character. I mean, he's dumb as shit. Um, he's a bit crazy, but he has this fucking huge a bit heart. Crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. Um, and actually, uh, Clive Owen's character like perfectly gives gives Marv a perfect summation. Yes. in the bar, which is uh, Marv had the bad luck of being born in the wrong century. <laughs> yes. He would be more he than happy. Be, he would be better served to be a Roman gladiator than. <laughs> yes, and they would have sh- uh, thrown him girls like Nancy, <laughs> because we see Nancy as a, a young as an adult. adult. We see him survive lots of shit that oh, no yeah, one should n- survive. No normal person would fucking survive because we'll see it here in a bit. Whenever all hell breaks loose for Marv, that yeah, he's superhuman if not almost Hulk like because he literally yeah. jumps through. Uh, uh, the windshield of a moving vehicle running towards him, and he's perfectly fine, other than a few cuts on his face and arms. I mean, he gets electrocuted. Oh, yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. And he survives it. He goes, is that all you got, you pussies? <laughs> As he's throwing up blood. As he's throwing up blood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but we first get introduced to Marvin. It's a silhouette on a, on a wall nearby, and he says, it's the night is hot as hell. It's a lousy room and a lousy part of a lousy town. I'm star- staring at a goddess. She's telling me she wants me. I'm not going to waste one more second wondering why I've gotten so lucky. 
And then we hear a goalie say, I want you. And this is another line I fucking steal so much to woo my wife. I've told her in her ear as I whisper it, you smell like angels ought to smell. <laughs> Works every time, right? <laughs> I cannot tell you how well that line works, right? <laughs> she smells the way angels ought to smell. Uh, the perfect w- woman, my goddess. Um, then we hear Goldie saying, I need you. And then they just end up fucking. We see quick shots of Goldie like uh, writhing in ecstasy um, as they are, her, she's on top of him. And then we cut to them basically passed out on like this heart-shaped bed. Um, and once again, it's all like spot coloring. Like a, like a no-tell motel. Yeah, yeah. Almost it, they were just one step away from having the vibrator of the bed turn on while yeah. they were fucking. It was almost like that. Um, so they both pass out. Um, we hear Mara say she says her name is Goldie. Goldie. She said her name was Goldie. Um, we then cut to um, a, a, like an awkward angle. It's almost like on a Dutch tilt almost because we see the bed on the far end of the frame. And then we see the door open for the room open up. And we just see the silhouette of a man. We don't see who it is. We just see his face with like the, his glasses whited out. Obviously, it's black and white. So it's very like almost high contrast type yeah. uh, dynamic range thing that they're doing with a lot of this movie. Um, and he has like a, a Charlie Brown-esque shirt on. Where it, yeah. in this, it, it, with Charlie Brown, it's uh, yellow with like the black etchings on the midsection. With this, is black with like white etchings in the midsection, reminiscent of Charlie Brown. But what we happen with the, what happens with this character is very not Charlie Brown. <laughs> basically, anything but. We don't see him kill. We don't see anything else. We see... we just see him open the door, him smile, and then we cut to Marv waking, waking up. up. And it's hours later, and my head's feeling several sizes too big, and the cold thing happens in my stomach. And he's like, "You don't need to be a genius to not uh, to notice that those perfect breasts, breasts aren't, yeah, that's the line. <laughs> aren't moving like they should if she was breathing." Yep, uh, she's dead, and I was right next to her as someone killed her. Um, and and then he chit-chats a bit more. Like the internal monologue is basically like, I. He must have been silent because I didn't hear anything. Yeah. yeah, I was stone cold drunk next to her, and I didn't hear a damn thing. Um, and then hear sirens off in the distance, and Marv's like, "Yeah, the cops—they're telling me too much." And he's like, "There's no way in hell they could have known this besides me or the killer uh, told them about it." So this is a frame job. Yep. Um, in the comics, it happens the same way, but in the comics we see him mess, or in the movie we see him messing with like a lighter, and it looks like he's about to smoke or something before the cops come up to the door and bound on it, and he says, "I'm coming out." But in the comics, uh, he already has uh, his pills with him, so he pops a few pills before he bursts through the door and says, "I'm on my way out," or, yeah. or "I'll be right there." Because they knock on the door, he's leaning against the door. I'll be right out. I'll be right out. And then they cut to outside in the hallway. They're all waiting for him to come out, and he just. Burst right through the door, taking out several of the guys that are in the hallway, the SWAT team or whatever the fuck. Um, he immediately jumps over the rail of the staircase that they're on. He goes like greening down to the ground, grabs onto the rail, swings back up on like the third floor or something, and then just bursts out of a fucking window down into a back alley. Uh, and and uh, right when he lands, he then is met with a cop car, and he doesn't miss a, him. He doesn't miss a step. He looks at it and then just runs at it and jumps and plows his fucking legs to the goddamn cop car. Obviously, he's fine for the most part. He's got cuts on him and stuff. Um, and he we see... kicks in uh, one of the cop's face shields. Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, he says... 
as much. He doesn't think he kills them. But if you were to survive an episode like that where you put your legs through the windshield and immediately just start smashing motherfuckers' faces in, you killed them. Yeah, probably. Marv doesn't think so later on. We'll get to that here in a second. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't kill at least the one that he throws out of the car. Yeah. Like, he, he knocks the driver out, kicks him out, and then uh, starts driving away, stops the car, and throws the other, like, the passenger yeah. out. And, we, we hear the, and you hear the we, discount Wilhelm scream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marv is driving away. We see him smoking a cigarette. We then cut to... And making the promise, like, I'm going to find who did this to you, Goldie. And I'm going to give them the hard goodbye. And I'm going to give them the hard goodbye. Um, which is the name of the book. Yes. Uh, we then cut to a woman sleeping in her bed, uh, naked. Well, nearly naked. She's got underwear on. But she hears something off in the distance. She wakes up, grabs a gun from her dresser, and slowly walks into her bathroom. Puts on, like, a little... No, not yet. Thing? Not oh, yet. no. That, yeah, While she's bad. talking to Marv, then she does. Um, but yeah, she walks in the bathroom and she's like, it's just me, Lucille. And then she's like, oh shit, Marv. And he's now all bandaged up. We see all like the bandages. He's got some on his eyes. He's all over his over cheeks. Over his face. Uh, forehead, his arms, everywhere. He's just bandaged him, himself up as... And uh, some of the language in this didn't age particularly well. Oh, that's right. He called. Oh, yeah, this is in the movie. Lucille's a dyke, but yeah. God knows why. <laughs> she can have any man that she wants. Yeah, it's. They also use the uh, F slur, and I'm just like, Jesus Christ. To be fair, a character like Marv would probably use. Yes, that yes. language. And not knowing any better, he seems like he's got a good heart on him, and being the life that they do live as well with just this hard, gritty lifestyle, he would use words like that, not thinking. That it is a derogatory. Not knowing any better. Yes. And also, 2005 is starkly different than now on how we treat the gay yeah, community. And- All right. So, uh, as Lucille is basically looking over Marv, she's like, Marv, you need to take your pills. Uh, she reaches into her medicine cabinet and just grabs a pill bottle and tosses Marv. She's like, take one. Um, and Marv is trying to tell her, like, something happened with a woman that he was with. Uh, she was end up being killed and wasn't by me. And Lucille is like, you're not in the right frame of mind, Marv. You need to take your pills. And then we hear a monologue where Marv is like, Lucille's girlfriend tried to analyze me once, but she got too scared. And now she just pre- uh, prescribes me these, these pills. pills. Um, and then Marv starts telling Lucille about everything that's fucking happened over the past 24 hours. That he met this girl named Goldie. That she uh, took a shine to him real quick. That they ended up fucking at one point. And then whenever he woke up, she was dead in his bed. And he doesn't know how or why or who came in and did anything to The cops showed up right away. And she goes, Jesus, did you kill any of them? And he's like, I don't think so. But a lot of them know that they've been in a fight. (laughs) But says that it's a frame job. And he's not sure who's doing it. And then she's like, okay, you're getting delusional. Like She's like, settle down, Marv. He's like, no, there's no settling down. This is the old days. This is the, the good days. No, the line is this is uh this is blood this is blood for blood by the gallons. This is the old days and the bad days, the all or nothing days. They're back and there's no choices left. And then he just like basically tells her, I'm gonna fucking give everybody that killed Goldie a hard goodbye. Um he leaves Lucille's and where does he go? Oh, he goes to uh Katie's. Yeah. Uh, Katie's bar. Yeah. We see him walking down the back alley. And this is where one of the lines I also, another line I like from this uh, series of books and from the movie. He he says, You walk down the right back alley in Sin City and you can find find anything. anything. I'll see a guy getting tossed out of Katie's. And I guess the bouncer of Katie's doesn't, well, I know for a fact that he doesn't know who Marv is. He's like, 
your coat looks like Baghdad, so does your face. And then he just yells at Marv, take off. And immediately Marv doesn't have any of it. And he just grabs the guy by the face, starts crushing his eyeballs and throwing him into oh, the goddamn bar. Right. And uh, we hear, um, um, I think it's Katie. Or maybe Shelly. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, Marv. He's new here as he walks in. Jesus, Marv, let him go. He's new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't know. Um, he walks up to the bar. And in the comic book, so he immediately wants, Marv wants to get answers. And the only way he can get answers is by sending out bait for someone to come and find Marv. In the comics, he uh, takes this character named Weevil, who looks very much like Wolverine. Um, only yeah. to call him Weevil in the in the story. Uh, and he tell and Weevil's the type of person to just run his mouth to fucking anybody that'll fucking hear it. So he tells Weevil like he just killed a bunch of cops because they just killed someone next to him in bed. Go tell your friends. And Weevil runs off. Marv just sits in the bar waiting for and someone waits. to come. In the movie, he just sits at a bar, takes knocks back a few drinks. And this is where we also get the line from uh, Dwight as he's sitting in the bar. Um, as Shelly hands him a drink, we hear him. M- Dwight looks at Marv, and we hear Dwight say. Um, that line about him being um, from Roman, being a gladiator, and how he would have been yeah. much more happier throwing an axe into a guy, and that they would have shown a uh, thrown. He him just had like, the bad luck of being born in the wrong century. Right. Um, and Marv is just knocking back a few drinks, and up come two men uh, pointing a gun at Marv's back. And Mar- is it is this where we get that line, or is that not until his story starts? No, no, it's from this. This is where we get the first indication of Dwight. In the movie, well, is no, right here because we're he, always getting like all the different characters from the different stories, yeah, like, like get, bumping up, get the, tagged it. Well, they they all meet at uh, Katie's at, at some Katie's. point, and I thought, or yeah, he just says like they toss girls like Nancy to him. Yeah, it's the gladiator line to him, and you see her dancing, but you yeah. don't know the history with Nancy, yeah. the who she is, yet. right? Um. And yeah, the story pops all over because like the Hardigan stuff happens before the Marv stuff, and then the Dwight stuff, I believe, happens before Marv shit. Or no, 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 Marv stuff happens between before the Dwight shit. I know Hardigan star- starts before all of it. Just all of it's like interweaving. Like all these stories are interweaving. We have which, few of the characters which was up a choice made in editing. Apparently, um, in so it had more a more cohesive feel. Right. Um, Apparently, like the one of the special editions that have come out, yeah, I own that. Does each of the stories on their own? Each of the stories separately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where this one, like you, you start Just with Hardigan's the story, then you have Marv's, then you have um, Dwight's, Dwight's, and then you go back to finish Hardigan's, mm-hmm. and it, and it, it bookends, bookends with, ends, with the customers always right. And the one at the end of the movie is not in any of the comics. They made that up. Yeah, for the just to bookend him. Um, anyway, oh, so the guys walk up behind Marv, and they have the gun to his back. He's like, Marv looks behind him. He sees two guys behind him. When he, one of them is wearing a nice coat, and Marv immediately is like, "That's a nice That's coat." That's a nice coat. <laughs> and the guys like, "Get up!" And then Marv follows him outside. Um, we hear Marv say, oh, "I love Hitman because no matter what you do to them, you, you never, do, you feel never bad. have to feel bad." <laughs> um, and then immediately Marv knocks the gun out of the one guy's hand, takes the other guy, wraps like backhands him takes the gun that he's holding, points it at the uh, guy with the coat, shoots him in the gut, then takes the other guy, punches him in the face, and then just turns him around and, and smashes his, his face, face into the wall. Into a brick wall. I'm assuming killing the guy. Well, yeah. <laughs> or I at mean. least majorly, majorly fucking up his brain capabilities. Because he just 
pummels this guy into the wall. Um, the guy that got shot in the gut is now on the ground. And he, Marv immediately is like, take that coat off. And the guy's like, why? He's like, I don't want you bleeding all over it. The guy takes off the coat. And he's like, all right, so who sent you here to kill me? I know you know who it is. I know you know who killed Goldie. Tell me who it is. The guy initially is not saying much. He's just writhing in pain. And he's like, you know what? Maybe I hit you too high in the gut. Or maybe I aim too high in, when I hit you in the gut. And then we just hear our shot ring out again. In the comics, he's more detailed. Uh, he basically indicates that he shoots him in the dick. It's same as what happens to Junior. Um, the guy's now writhing out in pain again, and immediately he tells him, I think he tells him, like, Louie the bookie or some shit like that, some sort of, like, person that runs some sort of, like, gambling table of some sort. Um, and Marv's like, thank you, points the gun to the guy, fires, killing him. Marv now has that guy's jacket shoots on. Shoots him in the face, takes his jacket. Um, we then get a few cut, quits, or quick cut scenes between, we see him, like, holding a guy in midair, like, ushering him into the bathroom and just giving him a swirly into a dirty toilet, just lifting his hat up. You, he's like, you're going to tell me the truth, Louis, or not? He's like, it was... God, oh, I have the lines here. What was the... Oh, he says, uh, it's Telly. Telly Stern passed the order. Uh, he runs the tables at, over at the Triple A's Club. Uh, Louis tells him it's Connolly. You need to talk to Connolly. He's like, oh, thank you. Uh, and then we see Marv... Um, Dragging a guy by his face outside of a car at high speed, he's like, "Are not, you having not like with a chain or no, anything? No, no. Like he's just holding him by the to the by the back of back his of his neck head to the ground. To the ground as he goes like barreling through the street, <laughs> just scraping the guy's face against the concrete. Um, and he's like, "Are you having fun, Connolly? I'm having a ball." We see the car uh, drive off the frame. Uh, we then cut to. Um, Marv approaching a cathedral or a uh, big-ass church of some sort. We see him in a confession booth. And the the uh, priest is like, what brings you here, my son? He's like, well, Padre, I want to keep you... I don't want to keep you up all night, so I'll just fill you in on the latest The batch. latest batch. <laughs> <laughs> These hands of mine, they are blood. They have... They got blood all over them. Uh, you're speaking... And the priest says you're speaking figuratively. Uh, and then Marv says, well... Um, no. Uh, whenever I need to find out some information, I go ask people, and sometimes I ask uh, pretty rigorously. And it all pointed to one person knowing what I need to know, and he's... I don't want to... So I want to read the lines, but I don't want to read every line in it, so I'm just trying to uh, surmise. Paraphrase. Um, and uh, Marv says, uh, and it all pointed me to you, Padre. You knew who killed Goldie and where I need to go next. And the priest is like, dear God, man, this is a house of God. And Marv's like, just give me a name and I'll be gone. Give me a name and we're good. And you see the priest uh, debate for a second. And he's like, all right, Rourke. And Marv's like, you know what? You're working on my last good fucking nerve. Um, you're giving me a fucking whopper of a lie like that. And the priest is like, you don't believe me? Go out to the farm. It's out off of, uh, what is the area that he says? It's uh, there's a farm out north on North Cross and Lennox. Go there, you'll find all the proof you need. And then, um, then the priest says, and then ask yourself, oh, uh, one thing: is that whore worth dying for? And then Marv says, worth dying for, worth killing for, worth going to hell for. Amen. And then, <laughs> and then he fucks the priest up. Like, oh, you were going to be okay. But then you had to besmirch her name. Right. 
we see Marv walk out of the um, cathedral. He has the priest's keys in his hands. He notices that it's a Mercedes, so he walks up to the Mercedes. And as he's uh, walking out to the Mercedes, a car comes barreling down the road. And it starts like, just beelining to Marv. He, start, he whips out his gun, raises it, realizes, and because the car has a convertible top, realizes that, oh shit, that's Goldie. Or who he thinks is Goldie. He's like, no way, that, that can't be Goldie. And immediately gets run bam, right over. Bam, he goes bam. flying into the air. The car turns around, hits him again. The car turns around, fires a few rounds at Marv, and then hits him again one more time before driving off completely. Marv is fine, by the way. He's not dead. He's not mortally injured or anything like that. He's he just gets up. He's a bit concussed. He's, he's <laughs> like, oh, couldn't have been Goldie driving the car. I forgot to take She's my pills. Dead. I, I forgot to take my pills again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh, I just got hit by a car three times. Well, time to take my pills. <laughs> right. What what's in your pills? <laughs> <laughs> we cut to later, um, and Marv is. Driving in his car and he's knocking back pills left and right, and we get more spot coloring here where we get the pill bottle. It's just spot super, colored. or yeah, yellow and the. I think the pills, the pills are, as are well. like super white. Yeah, and he's knocking them back back like it's just the candy of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I can't forget to take my pills. It's not healthy for me to take my for me to forget to take my pills because I get things confused whenever that happens. Um, and then we see Marv going up to the, he, he says he, uh, parks the car a mile away from the farm where the priest told him it was at. And he r- walks up the rest of the way and he starts investigating like the farm land area, like right before the house, he starts uh, like looking around this like old tractor that's in the middle of the area that the farm is at. Yeah. I don't know. It's like a broken down tractor that just kept right there in the middle of the yard. Um, and as he's investigating everything, he hears something snarling up behind him, and he turns around, and it's a wolf of some sort. He's like, I'm not, I don't have an issue with you, Pooch. Please don't do anything. I have to kill you. The wolf lunges at him. He just straight up punches, punches it, it in the face. <laughs> Knocks the wolf completely out. He's like, I'm sorry, as he pets him. <laughs> he basically knocked the fucker out. <laughs> Is it time to play with the rabbits, lady? <laughs> right. Um, and then he starts investigating more around that tractor, and he finds a femur. And right when he does, we then cut to a wider shot, and right behind him is the same guy that ended up uh, breaking into his room with Goldie. And immediately Marv's like, no way in hell could anybody sneak up on me unless, oh, the killer. He was able to sneak up into the room. It's got to be him. We see Kevin, uh, or who we will later find out is Kevin, a character that uh, is very menacing, jump up in the air and just lay Marv out. He starts, he, at one point, he has a, this really long nails. He slashes at Marv's face. All this blood and stuff comes, like, chunks of Marv's face comes uh, off of Marv's face as he swipes at Marv's face. <laughs> I keep saying Marv's face for whatever reason. Um, Marv is, like, temporarily blind. He's, like, trying to swing at him at this point, just trying to, just waving his fists in the air, just trying to hit something at this point. Uh-huh. And Kevin's just bouncing around him. And then at one point, whenever Kevin's had his fill, uh, just basically like, roundhouse kicks Marv in the face, knocking Marv out completely. We then cut to Marv popping up in a sitting position in the cell that he's in, not knowing where the fuck he is. Um, he looks around, he sees, or no, he doesn't see um, Lucille just yet. He sees something off on the other end of the cell, and he sees like a rose of some sort tattooed on a face. We cut to a wider shot, and it's all these uh, hooker heads mounted on some sort of mount in that cell with them. Like a, 
Like you would like a deer. A, yeah, like a deer trophy. Yeah, and it's just people that he has killed. We know he has killed, but we don't know to the extent of what he does with the bodies. And we'll find out here in a second. I think we... I think Lucille just says it as soon as like he realizes. Well, he, that she doesn't faces. just say it. She's like, "Well, he eats them, uh, or she kills he, them, and then he, he eats people." Well, the way she, I don't she think she says it right away. She says that he he mounts their heads when he's done with their bodies or something like that, and then he's like, "She's like she and he eats people or something along those lines." And Marv comes up, puts his coat on her because she's at this point still naked. She's in shock. And completely naked. And she has both her arms close to her, behind her legs. She has her in like a crouch position, her legs up to her chest, and her arms are in between her body and her legs at this point. Just, we don't see her arms. They're just like crouched in front of her, like tucked in front of her. Um, and she's telling Marv, like, he nabbed me. He even knew I was looking for Goldie before even I knew who I was looking for. But he grabbed me earlier today. And then uh, Lucille is just having a mental break at this point. And she's like, he made me watch. And Mars like, what the fuck are you talking about? He made me watch as he... He made me watch! Yes. As he sucked the meat from my hand, he made from me watch. From my fingers. From my fingers. Um, and we, she reveals that she is now one hand less. We just see like a stump that's been sewed up at this point. And what she said, she watched her hand being devoured by this cannibal. Um, and as she screams out, he made me watch. We cut to outside the cell and Kevin's just standing outside their cell that they're being held in. And he's just smiling. smiling. Um, a few seconds pass and we hear Marv saying, uh, dizzy dames. All they really need is a good cry. Then you would never be none the wiser that they were in peril or some shit like that. Yeah. She, she's calmed down at this point. And yeah. Like. I think she's sleeping. No, she says, oh, Christ, I need a smoke. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, she has a coat on completely, and now we have Marv up on the... Like the window metal bars. Metal bars. Just like, <laughs> like holding, holding on, on like he's a monkey. <laughs> yeah, it's just trying to pull them down. In the comics, it's fairly fucking different. In the comics, he just runs through the door. Only it takes a few tries for him to run through the door that they're, the for their cell. Um, but here, yeah, he's just rip, trying to rip these bars out of the frame of the wall in some manner. Um, we see Kevin beside the door. We hear a car pull up and yell Kevin. Marv sees him run to the car. And he's like, now I know your name. Now I have a name. I'll see you later, Kevin. Um, as the car drives off, we just hear all this cracking and like buckling. And then all of a sudden, crash. <laughs> Boom. The whole wall comes out and he falls down. <laughs> With Marv attached. Falls on his chest. He's he like, pops, oh, well, okay, he, pops, he pops up and he's like, <sighs> oh. he doesn't say anything. He's just hulking and like fucking like pissed that he fell that high. Um, he's like, let's go. They get out of the cell and then they hear a chopper landing and out comes a bunch of like um, SWAT men, SWAT men of some sort. And somebody with like tribal tattoos on his face. We don't get a name. We never get a name of this character, but it's an interesting character. He's bald oh, yeah, yeah. with like tribal tattoos all over his face with like a, a Uzi of some sort in his hand. He walks up. He's like t- telling his men to like look for them. Um, we see Lucille and Marv on like the outskirts of like the forest that surrounds the farm. And Marv's like, "I'll be able to take out a few if you can use this gun to take out the rest of them." And uh, before Marv is able to even able to start doing his thing, Lucille grabs a nearby rock and clunks Mark in the back. Marv in the back of the head. Mark go- Marv goes down. She grabs Marv's gun. He's like, "You're not going to get us killed. There's been enough killing already." 
And then she walks up with Marv's gun in her hand. He's like, don't shoot. Don't shoot. He's just knocked out over there. I'm his parole officer. Yes. Um, here's his gun. She hands him the gun. And then Marv... I think the guy says something to her. And I can't remember exactly. And he's like, is there anybody else or something like that? And he's like, no, no, no. He, it's just him and I. And then he immediately pumps Lucille with nothing but bullets, killing her instantly. Um, she drops to the ground. And Marv is gone at this point. The guard or the SWAT team starts looking for him. He's like, he's gone. Where is he? Um, we just see a hand in frame grab an axe from a nearby stump. And what is the line that he says? Hold on, I'm looking. Like you said, every fucking line in this movie is good. Yeah. There's so, like, I've got post-its on, on, on my notes for this, and there's like so many on here. There were so many lines. Like, I've got post-its in the books to make sure I pull out the right lines like there's a huge monologue from like senator rourke that i want to talk about later oh uh so one of he yells to the captain the guy with the tribal tattoos on his face he says captain target there's no sign of him we see the axe being pulled out of the stump and we hear just marv run up and say here's your sign and just takes the axe and runs it right through the guy's ass just like right in the taint ass ball area and just runs it right through he's like here's your sign lifts the guy up in the air with the axe and then just starts laying waste to motherfuckers left and right. We see a few guys uh, getting taken out by the axe. Either the axe gets thrown at them, he takes the axe out, he uses the axe against the guy's throat. There's blood all over the place. At one point, Marv is taking an axe out of the guy's head, and another guy, as the main like captain guy with the travel tattoos, aims his gun at Marv as another SWAT team just starts running up to Marv. And is in the way of all the bullets that the yeah, captain just is. shoots him with an Uzi. And just immediately takes out the guy. Protecting Marv, essentially, is what the guy was doing. Inadvertently, anyway. Yeah, accidentally. Yeah. Um, and then um, Marv sees the guy, and he's messing with his gun. It's jammed at this point, and he's trying to figure it out. And Marv's like, that's a nice coat you have there. And the guy just slowly looks up. He's like, oh, shit. And we just see Marv walk up Because we know what happens whenever he likes somebody's coat. <laughs> right. Um, and Marv is covered in blood at this point. And he, he just walks up to the guy within cut two later in the day. And it's raining at this point. We have Marv just walking in the street, uh, monologuing. I was pretty steamed about what he'd done to Lucille. So I took my time with that son of a bitch. I was, it wasn't until I showed him all the pieces of himself that he said just a name. Patrick Henry Rourke. Man of the cloth. And uh, the Rourkes are pretty much the Borgias of this, yeah. uh, this, this world. Um, where you have people in uh, politics, people in the clergy, uh, all evil people, all trying to do evil things with the uh, power, power that, that they they've have. got. Marv goes on to say uh, Patrick Henry Ward could have been president, but he decided to go to become a man of God, and now he's the go-to man of God in this city. The most powerful man outside of his brother, who he ended up making a U.S. senator. Um, and immediately Marv is pissed because he doesn't know how he's going to handle this. Um, and he immediately just starts firing rounds at the statue for, uh, because there's like a big, like, um, um, what is the, the, the Mount of Cristo, yeah. the big Christ statue in Brazil, yeah. I think, I think it's called the Mount of Cristo or something like that. Yeah, Cristo, something like that. Something along those lines. This is this big fucking statue of Jesus fucking Christ in fucking Brazil or South America in some area. And it's similar to that, only it's of uh, uh, Cardinal Rourke. Um, Marv is like, well, the only way I'm going to get anywhere close to uh, the clergy in any way is I will have to go talk to the girls of Old Town. And then we just see him like 
looking at the wares of all the prostitutes in Old Town. And he mentions in Old Town, um, they protect their own. If you've got the money, the girls are willing to play as long as you play by their the rules. Um, and then he just starts asking several of the girls questions. We see him take off the hat of one of the girls, toss it to the side. And he just, he's somewhat angrily, almost politely on a little bit of basis trying to ask these girls like what the fuck how do i get close to this guy we don't see hear or see what he's saying we just hear um music uh, over everything as he's just having like small scenes of him just interrogating these girls or right. talking to these girls right um and as he's doing that up walks what he perceives as goldie he's like goldie that's not you there's no way in hell that's you i forgot to take my meds and i haven't eaten all day today and then immediately she shoots him in the shoulder he uh, uh, reacts to the pain, and then she fires another round, only this time it hits him in the head, but it doesn't hit him directly in the head. It, like, grazes across his head, and everything goes black. We then cut to Marv strapped to a chair, like, all these, like, thick ropes wrapped around him. He's bleeding from his face, um, and we just have uh, Goldie, or what he perceives as Goldie. He's like, yeah, right, Goldie, sure, I haven't taken my meds today. And then she cracks him in the face with a gun a few more times, and uh, we hear Gale... Uh, off in the back is another prostitute and like these like all these like straps and uh-huh. cuffs and chain fish mail nets. and fishnets we see a few other prostitutes as well one dressed up like Zoro, who they call dallas we see becky with all the crosses and shit um they're all watching what mars perceives as goldie and we hear gail off to the side say hit him again wendy and mars like wait 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 wendy why did she just call you Wendy? And she's like, that's my name. My sister, my twin sister was named Goldie and you killed her. And then he, she hits him a few more times. It's like, look, you stupid broad. That wasn't me. Someone snuck in our room and killed Goldie. She was the only one nice enough to uh, give me the time of day. And she's like, why would I believe you? He's like, look at me. Would any of you fucking touch me? And then immediately the girls don't say as much, but they're like, yeah, that's oh, yeah, probably right. True. Even if he did have the money, none of us, because he has like a fucked up face, none of us would want to fuck you. And Marv's like, yeah, that's what I thought. And Goldie was the only one nice enough, the kind enough, and she needed someone to protect her for the night, and I was there. And I wasn't, and I couldn't do it. And I couldn't do it, and she ended up dying right next to me. And the girls, they hold for beat, and then they're like, ah, oh, shit. And they believe him. And he's like, all right, now that we got that. Now that we got that out of the way. And he just stands up like there's no, nothing restraining him. And Gail's like, what the fuck? Those were my best knots. He's like, yeah. And that's my specialty. That's my specialty. Which I was like, like superhero panel comes in. (laughs) Gail, good at knots. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I mean, there is a kink for that with all the rope play. Well, no, I get it. But like. Dallas, where's the mask? (laughs) (laughs) Becky, lots of crosses. (laughs) Like, um, and then Wendy's like, "How you took all that and you didn't even stop me?" He's like, "Well, I thought I could try to talk you out of it." Marv says this. I thought I could try to talk you out of it. Um, and my only other option was to paste you, and I don't hit girls. And then he takes a cigarette, lights it up. And everyone's just very fucking happy that he's that type of person. He could easily fucking maimed a <laughs> lot of these kill girls. All of them. <laughs> and because they were women and he has respect for women, he's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and then they decide on what is the next step that they decide to take? I think it's. Um, well, she's. I think Marv tells says, them about he the He says farm. something about, yeah, the farm. And Wendy says, like, Goldie used to work the clergy. And yeah, and we hear and he's him. He's like, and just like that, a huge piece of the puzzle drops into place. Yep. 
I don't know exactly how it fits in yet. It's like, yeah, yeah, you do, bud. Like <laughs> she fucked a bunch of priests. <laughs> at, at this point, the puzzle is two pieces. You have the one piece, and you just got the second. Like, put them together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, just put them together. Um, and uh, Wendy says that she'll help him um find who killed out killed her sister with Marv. And Marv's like, I need some handcuffs because what I need to do, I, I'm going to use some handcuffs. And Gail's like, What do you want? And when he's like, just whatever you have on you right now, she tosses him to him, uh, Marv. We then cut to um, they're driving, and we and I only want to mention this scene because it just lays more into what happens later on with Wendy and what she does for Marv um, mm-hmm. later on in the movie. But they're driving, and Wendy is driving, and Marv has an internal monologue, and he basically says that Wendy smells just like Goldie, and sometimes. Uh, while we're driving, I think it's Goldie right next to me. She hands me a cigarette, and I almost my heart almost starts racing again because I think it's Goldie. Um, basically, he's confusing Goldie for or w- Wendy confusing for Gold Goldie. Wendy for Goldie. Yeah, the fucking hell. Um, and as uh, they're driving, Marv tells her we need to stop and get supplies. They stop. Uh, he starts looking through all this like rubber tubing, the saw. He's like telling the the clerk there. He's like, I need a couple. Of like 12, 13 feet of that barbed wire and the special gloves that you need for it. Um, and the guy's like beefing up the home security. And Marv's like, yeah, something like that. Now, in the comic books, he's a bit of a dick to the store clerk. Um, the guy's like, oh, you're beefing up the home security. And Marv's like, whoa, whoa, fuck you. You don't even know what I'm doing with any of this. Go to hell. And then he walks out of the store. <laughs> for whatever reason, he gets real fucking angry with the store clerk for asking, what are you doing with all this shit that can easily maim someone? Uh, we cut to them driving to the farm. As they're driving, Marv starts talking about how he needs to run through it and make sure he's got everything. And he starts listing off everything. And I wrote this down. So he lists off, I've got the rubber tubing, gas, saw, gloves, cuffs, razor wire, hatchet, Gladys, which is his Colt forty-five gun that he calls Gladys. And then he finishes off and my mitts. mitts. And we just see his hands like tightening up and all that. Uh, we then cut to them outside, like a mile outside the farm. Or maybe not a mile, but a, a big, decent, a decent chunk. amount away from the farm. He tells Wendy, "Stay here. If I'm not back in 20 minutes, just take off." Um, Wendy says, "Kill him, good for me, Marv." And then Marv turns around, and is like, "I will, Goldie. I will." As he takes everything from the car and starts walking to the farm, uh, he starts setting everything up. Uh, he lights a cloth, puts it, or no, he puts a cloth into the gas can, lights it, and then just tosses it into the house that Kevin is in. He sees Kevin going down. Uh, set of stairs he's like oh maybe getting a midnight snack i know what type of snack you're gonna get tosses the can into the house right when it breaks through glass for the house the gas can we see kevin just burst out of the house right away through another window yep um we see mar fire a few shots at kevin to try to lure him to where he's at and uh we see marv like duck through the woods he takes off his coat uh i think at this point he puts on one end of the cuff and as Kevin is running towards him, he's like, yeah, a little bit closer, you little bastard. And immediately Kevin sees the barbed wire because he's laid it low at like a midpoint where it could be masked in the woods. Uh-huh. To where if Kevin runs across it, he'll cut him all up and fuck him up. But immediately Kevin spots it, leaps over it, and is now in front of Marv. Well, no. He says... He jumps over the razor wire and he's like, yeah, he's smart. Just like I thought he was to avoid my trap. And then he immediately kicks Marv's coat, which is hanging on a branch. 
because he all that's right, right. Marv, Marv I was just like, standing there. It's like if he was smart enough to jump over the razor wire, why did he just like kick an empty Immediate, coat? Yeah, because it's just dangling by a piece of wood. You wouldn't. Yeah, it's just because he, for whatever reason, just stupidly is like, oh, coat, got to immediately kick it. It's got to be Marv, but doesn't think that. Oh, wait a minute, maybe it's just a coat hanging there. Um, so yeah, Kevin kicks the coat, and now he's in front of Marv, and they're just wrestling back and forth. We see him getting the best of Marv right away, and Marv's like, "Yeah, get a little closer, you little bastard!" And immediately, a little gra- closer, I can take it. Yeah, uh, immediately grabs Kevin by the arm. They start wrestling a little bit. And immediately, we hear the cuffs slap onto Kevin. He ra- Marv raises both their arms. He's like, "Aha, I gotcha!" And then immediately, Kevin doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything throughout the entire movie. But I don't think they cut to Kevin at all. He on just his face. he kind of looks at him. He's like, oh shit. And thunk. Yeah, immediately <laughs> we just see Marv just punch him right in the fucking face as hard as he can. He drops to the ground. Marv is smoking a cigarette at this point, just breathing heavily at this point. Um, just and he says as much as like my body promises promise me promises I'm gonna get the line before I fucking butcher it and stumble over it. This is the line. So my muscles make a promise of pain to come is the actual line that he says. And then a Wendy comes up out of the woods. He's like, let me do it, Marv. She has her gun pointed at Kevin. And Marv steps in front of her. He's like, no, 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 you can't be doing this. And then immediately smacks her, knocking her the fuck out. Which I guess it will uh, hit a woman if it is in benefit to her. He carries her back to the car and he's like, sorry. Sorry, yeah, he is, he that. is sorry that he had to hit her, and he says as much. But I'm just like, but He's like, but what I'm you don't want to see what I'm about to do. Yeah, sorry, Goldie, but you don't want to see what I'm about. to It'll do. It'll give you nightmares. Um, we then cut to later, and he's talking to Kevin. He's like, you know, for a moment there, almost didn't think I could do this. And we just see Kevin's like head. We don't see what's happened to the rest of him. We just see Kevin's head, and we hear Marv's like, look. For a few seconds, a few spurts came out and almost thought I was going to lose you. But you know what? Uh, after thinking about it, it's good that those few spurts came out because I needed your friend to come up. And we see the wolf come up. It's like, oh, there he is. And then cut to an even, like a medium shot, but it's all of Kevin in the frame. And Kevin has now have his had his legs and arms Removed. sawed <laughs> off. We see the rubber tubing where the cuts were made. And he's just staring at Marv. Just almost with like a small like smirk on his face the entire yep. time. Um, the wolf comes up, starts chewing on him. We get this um, this white silhouette. It's very reminiscent of what's in the comics of just Marv watching the wolf eat Kevin, all in white silhouette. It's very it's a beautiful shot as everything's going down. Um, <clears throat> we hear Marv um, monologue a bit more. He's like he never. Oh, took his look away from me. He didn't even smile. He, never, he didn't scream out in he pain. He never screamed out in pain. He never, even when the wolf had his fill and his guts were hanging out on the ground, he never did anything. Um, and then we see Marv cut off his head. We see him with the saw in his hand, with Kevin's head in his hand. And then um, oh, we cut to later. Um, and it's Marv carrying Wendy up into Nancy's place. Yeah. Now, with this whole sequence of events... Marv or Mickey Rourke and Jessica Alba never meet in this scene. Really? Yep. It's ne- they for whatever reason scheduling reasons they were never in the same scene together. It, if you watch behind the scenes, they just basically split the screen. That's why they're never in the same shot oh, at okay. the same time. Or well, technically they're not. So we can get to it here in a second. So she says, "Hey Marv, what do you got there?" And she's like, "Oh, Marv's like, oh, just a friend." When we first are introduced to Nancy in her apartment, it's just her in the frame. 
and then we cut to Marv in another frame walking up the steps with Wendy in his hand. Marv walks into the apartment. We then have uh, Nancy in her kitchen grabbing a bunch of beers as Marv is putting Nancy, also not in the same frame, as putting Wendy on a couch nearby. We then cut to they are in the same frame, but they split the frame off between Marv as uh, Robert Rodriguez was reading Nancy's lines. Marv would react to him reading Nancy's lines. And then they did the same thing with Jessica Alba. She would react to Robert Rodriguez reading Marv's lines. And then they just put the two scenes together. Right. But the two characters are never in the same... Or the two actors are never in the same huh. scene together. So I always thought that was interesting. For a movie as... We'll get to it when we get to box office and all that. This movie's not that expensive. No. With a lot of effect shots that's in this movie, it's not super expensive. Um... In this scene, we see Marv. Nancy's like, what are you going to do next, Marv? He's like, I don't know. Raise raise some hell or something along those lines. He's like, what do you need me to do for her? He's like, well, just take her outside the city. um, Give her some money. Um, And I think he hands Nancy a bunch of money as well. Or like, there's some money over here. Or something along the lines with money or something. And he's like, get her out of town. And she's like, sure, Marv, I'll do that. And then Marv, in his monologue, he's like, Nancy's been a doll since the moment I met her whenever I helped her with a, a frat boy problem that she was having, and I straighted him out real quick or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, Basically saying that... He smacked a frat boy was, around. He was the uh, the one that women ran to if they were having problems with men beating them or doing whatever. Yep. And Nancy you know, was one of them that he did it for. Yep. And ever since then, she's felt indebted to him and helps him whenever she can. Helps whenever she can. We then cut to Marv with his jacket and everything on with a backpack on his back at this point. And he's scaling this compound. Um, He's taking out guys that get in his way as he scales this compound. We see him enter into a tower and it's just like one of those like spiraling towers or like the steps are part yeah. of the stonework that are etched on the inside of the tower as he walks up. I feel like, like a burp. Like a castle, almost. Almost like that. As he walks up, we see inside the room a character starting to wake up as he hears somebody approaching his door. The door opens. He's like, the character in the bed's like, uh, Kevin? He's like, what's left of him? And then uh, Marv walks into the frame, holding Kevin's head straight in front of him. And uh, the other character in the bed is Senator, or not Senator, but... Cardinal Rourke, the main bad guy for this story, anyway, that we've been talking about. And immediately, Rourke is in shock. He's like, oh, shit. Marv lays Kevin's head, his severed head, on Rourke's Bible and places it right there. Rourke comes up to him. He's like, you monster. What did you do? Um, And then uh, Marv's like, don't make a sound or I'll plug you. And Rourke tells him, he's like, you killed an angel, a beautiful angel, and Marv's like, yeah, eating people, that's real heaven-like. And Rourke's like, you don't know what you're talking about. He didn't just consume their bodies, he ate their souls. And I joined them. And then we get this look from Marv, like, you gotta be shitting me, you did what? But he doesn't say as much, it's just the look right. on his face. is like, holy fucking shit. Then what I'm doing is helping a whole hell of a lot of people, not just me getting revenge on uh, for Goldie on you. They were um, just hookers. Yeah, and he's he, like, they were just hookers. No one cared about them. And it, th- this is... So this... this The idea of Sin City is basically a commentary on 
not just the, what was happening in the 90s, but what happens all the time in modern day. Um, people go missing. I mean, the most prolific thing is indigenous women go missing constantly, but no one makes a fuss about it because they're an indigenous women. We just had, what her, what's her name, that Gabby chick was all over the fucking news. A blonde white woman goes fucking missing, but there were several, hell, there's constant people, either people of color, Latin people, indigenous people constantly going missing, but no one gives a shit about them. But the moment a white woman, blonde white woman goes missing and it's all over the headlines. This this movie is a commentary on a lot of that. A lot of it hasn't changed since then. Right. Um, we are starting to see something starting to change. Um, with like, uh, what's her name? Deb Hon- Ho- Holland? Uh, part of Biden's cabin. Yeah. Um, she's starting to get uh, everybody getting their asses in gear to try to help find missing and indigenous women. All those things. Things are starting to the M- happen. M I Yeah, it's uh, or? the the initials are um M I W missing and murdered indigenous, indigenous women. women. Yeah. So things are happening. It's just th- this movie is very it's not of its time. It can fit into right. 2005 to 98 when the stories came out to now because this stuff is still fucking happening now. So and I I commend that it that it's timeless and that factor, but I'm also like it shouldn't be. Right. This should be a story of its time, but it's really not. Uh, Rourke says, do your worst, you monster. Uh, Marv says, you can scream now as he walks up to the senator. We hear a bunch of like guards and stuff running up the steps that Marv was just uh, up at, burst through the door, and we just see Marv, or they, they see Marv just sawing off the senator's head at this point. And then they... Look horrified. Look horrified at it happening, and then they just uh, riddle Marv with a bunch of bullets. Just boom, 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 boom. Everything goes black. Um, we... I don't think we hear anything. We just hear um, it cut the black, and then we hear Marv just say, jerks, they should have shot me in the head. And then yep. uh, it's basically Marv, I think it's Marv being worked on, because he sees just doctors working on him, repairing him, keeping him alive. He says something about how it's a waste of time. and they should, Like I said, they should have shot me in the head. Uh, and then it's all, once they... He says... They're all wasting their time. We all know how this is going to end. Yes. Um, he says, not more than five minutes after I've got my feet under me, they kick him right out, and we see him being just getting the shit kicked out of him by three men, just bats, everything, as they just wail into him at this point. Um, and they're like, they want a confession out of me, um, and they keep bringing me fresh sheets of paper for me to spit up blood on, but I don't give them anything. And then here comes a little smarmy junior lawyer whatever the fuck and he tells him to shut off the recorder and then he threatens to kill my mom and mar was like i broke his arm in three places and we see all this happening of this like smarmy lawyer coming up offering him the same thing a plea deal along with a confession um, or they're going to kill his mom we see marv grab him by the arm and just like jerk him around and shit and break his arm in three places and he signs yep and then he's like it's all by the numbers at that point the judges all fire, fire and brimstone, brimstone as he hands down the sentence and they basically are going to ac- execute him and they they pin uh the all the prostitutes that ended up being eaten by kevin the murder of the uh senator um kevin's death along with goldie's death not as well. the senator the or the cardinal's Cardinal. death um, along with goldie's death as well and they've um sentenced him to death and he, he's now on death row at this point and as he's just basically waiting for things to happen in his cell, uh, they yell that he's got a visitor, and up walks 
Wendy. And he's like, oh, Goldie, I got him real good for you, Goldie. And then as she walks further in the light, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, Wendy. I get confused sometimes. and then They don't let me have my pills in here. Yeah. And then Wendy's like, it's all right, Marv. You can call me Goldie. And then they lay in his bed, and we hear Marv say she says her name is Goldie. And I think he calls her my angel, my goddess, or something. Or no, he says... She (laughs) smells the way angels ought to smell. (laughs) Goldie. There's some conversation you weren't part of. (laughs) When I was telling him how I stole a lot of lines from this um, to woo you early on in a relationship, the uh, she smells like angels ought to smell. (laughs) I mean, it worked. (laughs) See, I told you! (laughs) Uh, but yeah, he says uh, she smells like angels. I smell my Goldie, my goddess. And then uh, we cut to later in the day, and he's, he says, "Now the time has come." <clears throat> Even a few hours before, uh, they gave me my last meal. Uh, and he describes the meal as like a steak, and they threw in a few brews as well. That's the first I've had since at Nancy's. Then uh, he goes on to say they shaved my head and fixed me with a diaper. And then he says it's about time, if you about damn time, if you ask me. And then we hear a priest behind him saying, Yea, though I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. And before he even gets to even say the entire line, Mar was like, Yeah, 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 I got things to do. Let's move this along. And we hear the warden say, You heard the man. The guy flips the switch. He rises in pain as all this electricity is being sent through Marv. They uh, release the switch. And then we just hear Marv go, like, I just cough. The, the, the figure I told you about coughs. He said, laughs a bit. And he says, is that the best you can do, you pansies? As he's throwing up blood, um, they hit the switch again. He rises in pain. And uh, they let go of the switch. And now he's dead. No movement. No what, uh, heartbeat whatsoever. We pull into Marv's eye. And we see him just at that one moment in time for Marv. That was his best moment in his life. Whenever he was laying there with Goldie in that heart-shaped bed. We then cut to somebody pounding on a door. Pound, pound, pound. He's like, oh, baby, let me in or some shit like that and we don't know what's going on and then we cut to inside the apartment and it's Shelly in bra and underwear with like a man just like a button up around her we have a character named Jackie and she's trying to convince Jackie to know go away she doesn't want him around and he's got a few of his friends outside the door he's like come on baby just let me in and she's like no the last time you were here you fucking smacked me around I don't fucking want that here get the fuck out of here and Jackie's just continually knocking on the door. At this point, he's got the door partially open, but there's a chain over the door keeping him from entering the apartment completely. He's got, like, his arm in, trying to convince her to undo the chain and shit. And she's having none of it. She's, like, telling him to get the fuck out of here. Telling him, like, the last time you were here, you, like I said, beat her, beat her, beat me, or what she, this is what she says. You beat me, and it's kind of hard for me to make a living if the customer sees a waitress that lives off her tips all bruised and marked up because of her drunk uh boyfriend i think dwight walks up behind her yeah go ahead open the door <laughs> yeah he's just putting on his pants he's like go ahead bring him in he's got a mean drunk on and i i'll, I'll fucking take care of this just let him in and shelly's like no 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 dwight you don't know what you're getting into this will be a huge fucking issue for you there'd be no fucking good will come out of this and dwight's like i don't give a shit open the door let him in and shelly's like no and uh, Jackie's like, I hear someone in there with you, Shelly. Or he calls her who's, baby. Who's in there? And it's a regular African love fest <laughs> in here. And then Jackie's like, I ain't no racist. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, And then uh, we see Dwight like put on the rest of his outfit. And then Jackie's like, oh, you know what? At no point have I kicked down this door. And I could have at any point. 
while you're fucking insulting me and making fun of me on the other side of this door. I could have kicked it in and I haven't. So you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm going to kick in the door. Uh, he's like, I'm going to count the three, baby. And if you don't open this door, then it's going to be hell to pay. And she's like, oh, no, Jackie, don't. And Dwight's off in the room getting dressed at this point. Um, and then right when she opens the door, Dwight puts on his jacket. He hears them come in. And then um, Jackie and all his goons are walking into the apartment as uh, Shelly's like trying to cover herself up, trying not to be too, I guess, uncovered in front of all these strange men that are now in her apartment. And Jackie walks past her. That's a man's shirt. Where is he? Yeah. And she's like, it was Superman. And he just left whenever he knew you were coming in. And then uh, Jackie's like, I need you to call a bunch of your girls down at Katie's and tell them we're going to go have some fun. And Shelly's like, no. No way in hell am I unleashing other women on you guys. You guys are way too drunk and way too belligerent at this point. It's not happening. And Jackie's like, come on, baby. Don't be like that. Um, And then Jackie's like, you got another man's love stink on you or something like that. And as they're having this conversation, we see the silhouette uh, of their conversation on the floor as Dwight walks from the bedroom to the bathroom. Um, And then Jackie just smacks her. She falls to the ground, knocking over like knives onto the ground and stuff. Um, she's bleeding from the lip. It's pretty much the, the the typical scene you would see between a victim and the abuser where he's like, oh, see what you made me do, baby. If you would just listen or something like that, I wouldn't have hit you. He walks past her. He's like, I gotta go take a leak. He walks in the bathroom. Uh, one of Jackie's goons is like, see, you shouldn't have made fun of him like you did. If you didn't make fun of him, he wouldn't have lost his temper. And then she's like, or the goon is like, now if you were with me, I would never lose my temper. And then she just grabs a knife. He's like, you don't lay a hand on me. I'm going to cut your little pecker off. <laughs> we then cut to the bathroom. And Jackie's just um, using the toilet at this point. I think he's like singing or hemming or humming some sort of like song of some sort. He's humming something. Yeah. He just as he's taking a leak, just humming mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Oh, as he finishes. Cig- uh, yeah, and a cigarette in his mouth. The, 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 the last like, trickles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as she's doing that, uh, we see the shower curtain slowly open, and there's Dwight just looking at him. We then cut to Dwight grabbing the back of Jackie's hair with a straight razor in his hand uh, next to Jackie's eye. He's like, hi, I'm Jackie's boyfriend, and I'm out of my mind. And he Shelly's re- boyfriend. Or sh- <laughs> Jackie's boyfriend. Yeah, Shelly's boyfriend, and I'm out of my mind. And if you ever touch her again, you ever think about her, you ever go near her again, and I will cut you in ways that will make you useless to even a woman. <laughs> And then he's like, you're making, Jackie says, you're making a big mistake, pal. And Dwight's like, you've already, oh yeah, you've made a big one yourself. And he holds for a beat. He's like, to to give Jackie time to go, well, what mistake did I make? <laughs> and like, then Dwight. You didn't flush. Yeah. And then just shoves, <laughs> shoves his, his head, head down in the, the toilet. toilet. And we get a shot from inside the toilet where Jackie's head's being forced down. Into Benicio <laughs> Del Toro's head is just <laughs> encompassed in yellow liquid. <laughs> yes. As he's writhing in pain and trying to get out of it and everything. We see it cut to outside the toilet. And Dwight just has his hand just directly on the back of Jackie's head as he's wiggling around. We see Jackie trying to flush the toilet to try to give him some reprieve. Uh, Dwight smacks it away. And then we just hold on Dwight as everything just gets like duller and more sinister as Dwight slowly watches Jackie stop moving. (laughs) Um, Dwight lets him go. Jackie's just slumped over into the toilet at this point, just passed out. Dwight leaves through the window next to the, or attached to the bathroom. And immediately Jackie pops up, looks around and points his gun out. <laughs> and then immediately throws up into the toilet because <laughs> he's had his head. Also in his yellow own piss. liquid. Yes. 
Um, he gets out of the bathroom. He's like, guys, it's time to go. No questions. No questions, goddammit. It's time to go. They leave. Well, how was your hair wet? No questions. <laughs> Shelly's just like, oh, shit. Something just happened. Um, she doesn't say anything, but she's just looking at him just like, oh, fuck. They leave the apartment building. He fires a few shots, and Jackie does, fires a few shots into the air. They get into the car, drive away. Well, no. They're getting ready to drive away, and Shelly runs to the bathroom and is looking around. I thought they drove away, and then she went to the window. No, so I want to say he jumps down as they're driving away. Does he? Yeah. Either way, yeah, she goes to the window as they're getting away, and she's looking and watching all this proceed, and then she sees Dwight on the window seal looking down. He's like, Dwight, I'm sorry about what happened. Or no, Dwight, what did you do? And he's like, just gave him a taste of his own medicine. And Shelly's like, Dwight, Jackie was before uh, you showed up with that new face. Which they do mention several times that Dwight showed up with his new face. Um, we'll get into that whenever we talk to Dame to Kill For. But in the storyline of Dame to Kill For, Dwight looks completely different. Right. Um, and at one point, he gets into a fight with Minute and just gets his face just basically demolished. To the point where he has facial reconstruction and he looks like he does in the rest of the, the in the first movie anyway. So anytime they're referencing, oh, you Dwight and his new face, it's because he looks completely different than what he did previously. That they all these characters knew of Dwight. And Shelley's like the Jackie was before you and I hooked up and it was only the one time and I've done a lot of dumb things. And then uh, Dwight's like, Look, seeing how I'm one of those uh, dumb things, I can't really I give can't you a hold you time. to or, yeah, I can't give you too hard a time about it. And then Dwight's like, look, I got to do something about Jackie and these guys because they are drunk and they are driving and they're going to get someone killed. And I need to do something about it before someone seriously gets hurt. And he jumps off the windowsill down onto the ground. And while he's doing it, he's like, I hear Shelly yell something, but there's a helicopter passing over by. I think she says stop. We'll get into what she says later on. Uh, he hits the ground, jumps into his car, and just basically starts tailing behind Jackie. And they're booking. It, we, Jackie's just the, flo- uh, the pedal to the floor. He's just booking it through town and everything. Uh, Dwight's closely behind him. As they're doing all this, Dwight's saying as much as that he's Jackie's going to end up getting someone killed with how fast he's driving. I need to catch up to him before anything happens. I believe he says something else. So a cop ends up uh, turning on his sirens behind uh dwight as he's barreling through town apparently he didn't see jackie but he did see dwight barreling through town dwight says as much he's like i don't know what to do do i do i just keep going following jackie or do i take this cop down and risk it all and just before he makes a decision jackie ends up swerving and missing a car and dwight says as much he's like oh thank you jackie you saved me a whopper of a decision because the cop goes around dwight and then just starts tailing uh jackie because jackie almost fucking caused an accident and we see inside Jackie's car, a couple of his goons is like, Jackie, the cops are on us. And Jackie's like, not for long, not where we're going. And then we cut to inside Dwight's car, and Dwight's like, Jackie, you son of a bitch. He's taking us to Old Town. My gut tightens up. Jackie boy's leading us straight to Old Town. We see the cop car behind Jackie pull up into Old Town, and Jackie just goes down a road, and the cop shuts off his alarm, turns around, and Dwight says, he knows he's not the law, not in Old Town. The ladies are the law here beautiful and merciless if you got the cash and play by the rules they'll make all your dreams come true but if you cross them you're a corpse and then uh we cut to and dwight has now hopped out of his car because um jackie and his boys have followed a woman down an alley and they're slowly trailing beside her as dwight walks down the alley we see up top of one of the buildings 
uh, a, a little Asian woman with a couple of uh, samurai swords and some sort of like um, kimono of some sort. Uh, she's just trailing the car on the top of the uh, building ledges. Well, we don't see her. I think she, I think Gail mentions. Yeah, Gail mentions her. Don't you worry about us, scared little girls. Miho's on it. And then we cut to Miho on the top of the ledges. But yeah, Dwight's trailing him on foot at this point with both his guns in his hand. Um, and as he's watching the car go through the alley, a gun comes out of nowhere and points it to the back of Dwight's head. He turns around and there's Gail in all her garb with her Uzi and everything. Um, he tells She tells Dwight, what are you doing here? And he's like, I followed Jackie here uh, all the way. He's here looking to, to cause some he's chaos. Looking to ca- he's got like a mean drunk on. He pretty much says what he says to Shelly to Gail. Um, and Gail is like, what? The little barmaid can handle her own or some shit like that. And Dwight's like, not right now, Gail. Um, I need to do something about him. And he's like, oh, and Gail's like, oh, you mean you need to help us little pretty little girls out? Says something else. Basically pointing at Miho, like I mentioned earlier. And then we follow Miho uh, as she basically follows the car along the rooftop edges. We then cut to Jackie asking Becky to get into the car, the woman that he's been uh, driving Following. beside. And Becky's like, oh, sugar, no, that ain't happened. I've had a long day, and I am just got off. And besides, I don't do group jobs. And well, we just want to talk. I don't do talk jobs either. <laughs> yeah. Jackie's like, we're just looking for a good time. And Becky's like, no, what you need is a good night's sleep. So why don't you get out of here? Um, and Jackie's like, no, 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 just to hop in the car. He's like, look, okay, fine. I'm not going to do anything, but if you go to, uh, what is it, the Alamo over on Dillon Street, that's the Alamo, not the Amigo. The Amigo is a F-slur joint. Um, this is one of the times they decide to use a few, like with the uh, word in Lucille's bathroom. One of his goons say, you hear that, Jackie? She doesn't want what you have. And Jackie's like, oh, you want to see it? You want to see it? And Becky's like, sugar, I've seen all shapes and sizes. There's nothing you can That's fucking right. uh, surprise me. He's like, oh, yeah? He whips out his gun. How about this? And and then Becky's like, oh, honey, you just made a big The biggest mis- mistake of your life. life. Uh, and then out comes, Miho jumps off the ledge. We see her with some sort of like shuriken or like throwing dart or some sort, and then it just it's in that Nazi symbol that we, or the swastika symbol. She whips it at him and slices off his hand completely. It drops to the ground. He comes barreling out of the car. Miho drops on the car that they're in, stabs two guys through the roof of the car, through their heads and everything. Another guy comes out of the other side of the car. She lops off his head. His body drops to the ground. She then jumps off the car with her blades and hands, puts him back into the sheath. And Jackie's now crawling on the ground, trying to get to his hand to where his gun is still wrapped in the severed hand. Uh, Dwight comes running up behind them, watching everything ensue. He doesn't do much right now. He's just watching everything ensue. Um, Jackie stands up with his gun in his hand now, and now he's trying to find whoever cut off his hand. And it's Miho, and she's just bobbing and weaving all around him, jumping and just dodging out of the way. He's like, stand still, you little shit, as he's trying to uh, shoot her. Um, she then eventually stops and just stands in front of him. He's like, you guys don't know what type of trouble you just brought upon yourself. And then Dwight comes up. He's like, Jackie boy, don't do any of this. Don't do this. And then Jackie boy ends up slipping on something and then landing on the um, swastika the, the shuriken. shuriken and get stabbed in his head, uh, ass. Uh, by the uh, swastika shuriken. He's like, you guys don't know what you've done. Oh, God damn it. And then uh, he stands back up with the shuriken in his ass, and then he's about to shoot Miho. Dwight says, don't do this, Jackie. Just walk away. Jackie looks over to Dwight. He's like, you shut up. As he does that, Miho takes like a 
silver dagger of some sort or like a small like piece of metal yeah almost a pen yeah and just whips it at the hole for the gun it goes directly into the gun and dwight's like no no no, don't fire your gun it's just gonna backfire it's not gonna end well for you and jackie's like i told you to shut up he goes to fire at miho and poof, gun explodes and the top chamber of the gun just beelines it to jackie boy's head embedding right into his, his skull right through the middle of his forehead he goes back, um, and he's like, I can't see. I can't hear. He stumbles back uh, against the dumpster, slides to the ground. Dwight, Gail, and Miho are watching all this ensue, and then Dwight's like, God damn it, Miho. Just finish him off. Put him out of his misery. Put him out of his misery. And uh, <laughs> the line is, she doesn't so much cut off his head as make him, as a-, make him a Pez dispenser. It's <laughs> <Yep. laughs> one of my favorite lines. I'll never forget that line <laughs> for whatever reason. Probably because it's a Pez dispenser. And... Then you see that that's exactly what happened. Then they start like going through his belongings. Yeah, they they start pulling out all the bodies that are still in the car, the body that ended up on the outside of the car, the guy's head. They just start piling them up next to the car. And we hear Dwight say as much, and now we start rifling through everybody's things, seeing what they have on them. He starts rifling through Jackie's pockets. He finds Jackie's wallet with all the Discover, Amex, MasterCards, and $300 in 20s. He says he doesn't... He, what is the line? He does. He's none too happy or something. He's not above pride or something to stuff that into his pocket or something like that. And then he's like, um, then I found the atom bomb. And then he pulls out another wallet of some sort. And then he, all we hear Dwight say is like, Jackie, you son of a bitch. She wasn't yelling, no, stop. She was yelling, he's a, he's a cop. Uh, and right whenever he finishes that line, Gail comes up and looks at what Dwight has in his hand. And it's his cop's badge. And it says, Jack Rafferty. Iron Jack is what the papers used to call him. He's a goddamn hero cop. And Gale sees it, and everybody starts freaking out. Oh, shit. Because we have several hookers at this point as they were rifling through all the other dead bodies and stuff with them. So it was like 20 women around Dwight and Gale and Becky. And Becky's like, oh, no, he's going to go back to the old days with the pimps and the, the mob. Oh, shit. And then Dwight's like, no, if you just give me a decent car or an okay car with a big uh trunk god damn it give me a car with a decent trunk and a or a big trunk and a decent engine i will get them out of here and gail's like what the the cop car followed him here they know that he came here he was last here they're gonna trudge the the landfills and the uh like rivers right away and dwight's like yeah okay but not the tar pits you get me a, a car with a big trunk god and a damn decent it gail engine. give me a car and he Gail, ends up smacking her. Yeah, because she points his gun at her, his face. He's like, get that gun out of my face, Gail. And then he's trying to make his case. Like, get me a decent car or decent engine, de- a car with a decent engine and a big trunk, and I'll be able to handle this completely. But get that gun out of my face. And she, Gail's not having any of it. She's not listening to anything he's saying. He's like, God damn it, Gail. He smacks the gun out of her face or out of his out of his face and then backhands Gail. He's like, You son of a bitch. And then she <laughs> Oh, once again, here comes the line I stole from this movie. Uh, and then she looks at him and she's like, ah, I forgot how fast you were. 
And then he says in a monologue, my warrior woman. I've used that on fucking Saturn before. <laughs> she, uh, as they lock up to kiss, uh, he, she says, she or he says, she almost yanks my head off clean, shoving my mouth into her so hard it hurts. And an explosion that blasts away the dull gray years between now and that one fiery night when she was mine. <laughs> I haven't used that verbatim, but I have used a variation of that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> this I said at the beginning of this episode, this movie had a profound effect on me <laughs> to the point where I'm just cherry picking shit at this point. Um, uh, he uh, pulls back from Gail's face as uh, they're done making out. He looks at one of the girls behind them. He's like, uh, a hard top with a decent engine and make sure it's got a big trunk. And then he looks back at Gail. He says, I love you, baby. And then she says, always and never. And then we cut to them pulling up like a junker of a car. And it's like puttering along as it parks and everything. He's like, where'd you find that heap? And he's like, there's no way in hell the trunk is big enough for all these bodies. We're going to have to cut them up. And Gail's like, all right, let's do that. Uh, Miho. And we just see Miho uh, whip out her sword as Gail, or not Gail, but Dwight lifts up like legs. And then she just slices them off. Hacking at them. Becky asks Gail if she can go home. All this is making her a bit queasy. Gail says yes. We see Becky walk off and go up to a payphone. And Gail says, don't talk to anybody before she does go to the payphone. But she ends up going to the payphone. We see her on it. Some of the girls walk by. And she's like, Becky, what are you doing? Gail said no phones. And Becky's like, I just want to talk to my mom. I just want to hear her voice. I won't tell her anything. I just want to hear her voice. Girls walk off. And then we see Becky still on the phone. We'll get to that here in a bit. Dwight is now in the vehicle with, and he mentions in the monologue, he's like, we couldn't fit all the bodies in the trunk. So Jackie Boy is now sitting up front with me. And as he's going through, we this is the scene that Quentin Tarantino directed. So it's this monologue between yep. him and the dead Jackie boy. Um, and it's just him losing his mind temporarily, I guess, having a bit of a mental break. Um, and he says as much. It's like, I know Jackie boy isn't alive anymore, but I can't help to realize that what he's saying is completely correct. Because Jackie boy is saying, oh, look, those hookers let you down. And anytime he's talking and his head is like down in like a downward... Uh, position. He's got he's got that deep gruff like, yeah, like he normally Benicio would. del Toro voice. And the moment he tips his head back and he see the cut in his neck, yeah, those hookers let you down. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's one line in particular, like I don't remember the whole line, but it's, it's something is something when the chips are down and your chips are down. Yeah, a smoker smokes and they, they never quit. And when the chips are down. And your chips, chips are down. <laughs> uh, and he, yeah, Dwight's smoking, just having this like mini mental break as he's thinking that Jackie's alive. And Jackie's having this conversation with him. This is a very reminiscent of the actual graphic novel as well, where they're having this back and forth. And Dwight knows that Jackie is dead, but Jackie is talking to him. Um, and as they're in the middle of this conversation, all of a sudden, sirens kick on behind him. And Dwight's like, oh, shit fuck am i gonna do with all if the cop ends up seeing jackie and or looks in the trunk he's gonna know something's up and then all this is gonna be for fucking nothing and i failed the girls and after they helped me a while back i can't fail these girls what he's talking about is this new face mm -hmm. so how he gets his new face is that he goes to gail and they end up helping him out getting him the surgery and whatnot that he needs so he owes the girls of old town big time and that's what he's referencing to. So, and as he's having all this like back and forth with himself about what he should do, Jackie Boy's like, "You better slow down." He's getting angry. 
Um, he's like, whatever you say, Jackie boy. He slams on the brakes. Jackie boy ends up lunging forward to the dashboard that's in front of him, slamming his now dead head into it, slamming that Pushing piece the of the gun, gun further, further into, into his, his skull, um, thus making it look like Jackie boy is just passed out, leaning against the dashboard. The cop walks up, uh, shines a light in Dwight's face. He's like, uh, evening, sir. Do you know why I pulled you over? He's like, I don't know, but I'm the designated driver. And then the cop looks over and he sees the guy, what he presumes is passed out drunk on the dashboard. He's like, well, I pulled you over because you got a busted taillight. He looks at Dwight, looks at Jackie. He's now uh, bent over and just looks back at Dwight and says, uh, I'm going to get let you off with a warning. Get it fixed. Drives away. And then he says, thank God or something like that. And then we cut to moments later and Dwight says, oh, the fucking uh, gas uh, dried up about a quarter of a mile away from the tar pits. And we just see like all these like dinosaur statues around mm. him. And we just see signs for like the tar pits up ahead or some shit like that. And he's just trying to push this car closer and closer to where the tar pits are. And he, he's cursing the women that ended up giving him a car that didn't have enough gas in it. Oh, we should also mention that he takes the cop's badge and put it in, puts it in the inside breast pocket of his coat. Yeah. Because that comes into play here in a bit. And a shot rings out, hits Dwight, he falls to the ground, and then we see like four like IRA members come walking out out of nowhere. Yeah. And they're like uh, praising America for the ability to buy as many bullets and guns as they need. Like, there's no other place in the world, and I don't see why Americans are always complaining. You can always get all the guns and bullets that you <laughs> right. need. All the ammo you want. <laughs> um, and I think they're talking about Jackie as well, about getting Jackie's body back to uh, their employers. And they're getting paid a buttload of money just to do all this. Yep. Beats being part of the NRA. Uh, one of the Irishmen, he's like, what do you got over there? He talks to a fellow Irishman, and he's like... He bends down, grabs something off the ground. It's in like a wallet form. He's like, oh, I think it's the cop's wallet. He opens it and he's like, but the shield is all bent up and all the metal. And there's, oh shit, the bullet. It's in the bullet. And then we see Dwight pop up and just start taking out several of the guys. In the comics, it plays out the same way. But uh, in the comics, there's a huge like monster of a man with them that takes forever to fucking for Dwight to kill. Um, he... Uh, plugs him with a bunch of bullets it doesn't work it's not until i think like dwight gets out of the way and like the guy that was the sniper rifle ends up uh shooting the big guy in like the face or some shit like that but yeah as dwight's dealing with all that he's, he takes out a few guys um and i think there's like two guys left at this point and right as dwight is pops up to take out sh- fire rounds at them again a gray grenade comes out of nowhere and just like plop 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 right beside him he's like oh shit and then boom he gets knocked back into the tar pits along with the car that he was in, along with several of the body parts that was in the car. And then we wake up, and Dwight's just slowly sinking into the tar further and further. And, and it's s- a stylized, like, white silhouette. That's after this small little scene. We have Is those it? two Irishmen on the part of the car that's out of the tar pit, uh, but is slowly sinking. We have one of the Irishmen, like, uh, trying to pull Jackie's body out of the oh, car. Right. And the other one's like, we don't need the entire body, just, just the head. The head. And the Irishman's like, all right, yeah, that's all right, let's go with that. And he's just sawing the head off. And the uh, one on the car is like, all right, I'll just take a nap here since you're taking your good old time. He's like, I'm out the bone. Chill the fuck out. And then we see Dwight slowly sinking into the middle. He's talking about how he failed the girls. He's so sorry. He did his best. He was trying to fucking make this happen, but he just couldn't. And then as he's slowly sinking in, we see hear him talk, 
hear him say, I should just let this black sludge uh, fill my lungs and just move on and just uh, be done Be done with all this. And as he's about ready to commit to the idea of uh, slowly dying, and a sl- slender little hand comes out of nowhere and grabs him by it. And he's like, oh, no, who is that? Skinny little Miho. Oh, you're an angel. You're goddess. You're Mother Teresa. As she pulls him up out of the tar pits. And it's Dallas and Miho pulling Dwight out of the tar pits. And they tell him, like, look, they've got fucking Gale. They've got several of the girls. Minute and all his men are there holding the girls at gunpoint. We need to do something. And Dwight's like, all right, here's Miho. I hope you left one of them alive for me. And Miho just points to a guy that's hanging upside down off of a uh, T-Rex's, like, jaw. Uh, Dwight walks up to him, and you just hear him monologues, in an internal monologue, say, I should, uh, make sure he knows I'm not messing around, and just stabs the guy in the gut. Kneels down and starts talking to the guy. We cut to them driving in the car. Dwight is now telling him, the guy told me uh, everything that uh, has transpired with Minute, and that they were hired to get Jackie Boy's body, and where the rest of the IRA members are going at this point to to prove that the girls killed a the hero cop, cop no. and that the then the mob who's I'm not sure that it's controlled by Minute but he's like one of the lieutenants henchmen. or whatever yeah, yeah. like he's one of the higher up henchmen yep they, and then Dwight also mentions that they need to catch up to this car that has Jackie's head before all this gets blown wide open and Dallas says as much. He's like, we're, we're almost there. What do we do, Dwight? What do we do? And Dwight's like, we stop them. And then we just see uh, Dallas just hit the gas and floor it towards them. Now, in the comics, it plays out a little bit different. He's like, we need it. Dallas asks them, like, asks Dwight, he's like, what do we need to do? And Dwight's like, I don't know. We need to figure out a way to stop them. And without even fucking talking to Dwight, she just floors it. And Dwight's like, no, 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 not this, not this, not this. And then he goes careening through the glass. And he's not a fan of it at all. In this, he's all right with it. He's like, all right, this is what we got to do. They run right into the vehicle, and he's like, I'm like like centimeters away from touching Jackie's head before I uh, hit the ground. Um, he's almost out of reach. Uh, all hell breaks loose. We see Dallas get out of the car. She gets pumped with a few rounds. Miho gets out of the car, jumps out of the way from getting hit by any bullets. She's safe, but Dallas is dead. Dwight stands up, sees several of the... Or no... Uh, she, he sees one Irishman jump into the sewer nearby, and as the second one is about to, I think Miho takes him out. Because there's only one Irishman in the sewer. Yeah. Um, Dwight sees the guy go in. He follows the guy after. Dwight's just, as he drops down, just firing rounds all the way down into yeah. the sewer. He hits the water. He's like, oh, I would have plugged you a few times if, my, if me revolver didn't get all wet. <laughs> um, so I can't. So you have me at gunpoint, or you have the best of me, or something shit like that. And right when Dwight's about to do something, we see the Irishman pull out some sort of like detonator, pushes the button, boom, knocking Dwight on his ass into the water fully. He's a bit concussed, doesn't know what the hell's going on. He's not, and the Irishman walks up to Dwight, and he's like, look, you know what? I lied. My revolver didn't get wet. I just didn't want to kill you with a gun. It just, it just doesn't do it for me. No. Bombs, on the other hand, whenever you blow up, like, say, a restaurant or something, a gas station, you see all, like, the body parts flying out of there and just in a mangled mess. That's that's where the money's at for me. <laughs> yeah. And as he's uh, saying all this, we see Miho drop into the water. He's like, but for me, I'm going to do you with my knife. And he pulls out this big-ass blade. And he's like, 
uh, don't scream or some shit like that. And as he walks up to Dwight, Miho comes up behind the guy, stabs him in the gut with her blade. And then we hear an internal monologue from Dwight saying, Me- skinny little Miho, she'll kill you and you won't even know that she's did it unless she wants you to feel it or something along those lines. And then he says, she twists the blade. He feels it. And then we cut to uh, outside the sewer and him and Miho are looking at each other as the camera spins around them. And then we don't hear the conversation, but we hear him, uh, his internal monologue saying that we need to come up with a plan to figure out how we're going to take care of these people. Now in the comics, uh, it plays out similarly, but in, uh, after they're done with this scene between him and Miho trying to figure out a plan, we right before we get into this final sequence in the graphic novel, we have a brief overview of King Leonidas and his 300 Spartan from ancient Sparta Greece. at that point, Greece. Um, now, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because Frank Miller would later on write a story about 300 and uh, the Spartan men that ended up keeping the Persian armies. Persian army. I was going to say the army of Thermopylae. I was like, nope, that's not it. A Persian army at the. Uh, Hell's Gate, which is just like a narrow pass, which is similar to what you have uh, in the sequence coming up. It's just all these bad guys in like this narrow passageway, um, and they're able to just hold them here as they all gun them down, as we'll get to here in a second. And they use he uses that allegory, and we, it's just like a one-page scene. He gives a brief overview, which is hinting at what happens later on in the book. Mm-hmm. In the movie, obviously, they don't hint at that at all. So we cut to, and now Minute is like working over Gail. She's tied to a chair and he's like trying to like crush her head. We see two guys. What are their names? It's not it's not Schlub and Clump. It's two other guys. I can't remember their names. But it's like a little uh tiny guy with like his arms are there's something going on with his arms. I'm not sure what's going on. And there's like a uh, medium height skinny guy with like a swastika on his forehead. Mm. The little guy's like, oh, it just breaks your heart, don't it? And the guy with the swastika is like, oh, what are you talking about? I can watch Dwight, or not Dwight, I can watch Manu do his magic all day. He's a fucking genius. As they're chit-chatting back and forth, in comes Becky. And Becky's like, just Gail, tell them what they need to know. And Gail's like, Becky? He's like, yeah, Gail, it was me. I called them. And Becky's like, or Gail's like, you little bitch. He's like, look, I... It was going to go back to the old days. So I needed to make sure that I, my mom and myself were protected. And Gail's like, it wasn't about your mother, you little bitch. It was about the money. And Becky's like, yeah, sure. It was about the money. Well, the money helps. Because she, Gail's like, you could have brought your mother here. We could have protected her. Oh, what? Her. Let her know that her little daughter's a whore? I had to save my neck. And then Gail's like, your skinny, scrawny little L- neck. Little neck! Oh! Takes a chunk out of her. And she's like, you crazy bitch. Oh, my God. You crazy bitch. She stumbled. <laughs> At this point, uh, Minute <laughs> fucking, like, backhands her, but with a fist. And, like, oh, yeah. the, chair, sailing. the chair pops up off the ground, turns sideways, and then falls to the <laughs> ground. Um, uh, Becky falls to the ground holding her neck. And then Minute's like, you know what? Just kill her. And Becky's like, no, no, that wasn't part of the deal. And then we see the guy with the swastika on his head walk up to Becky. He's like, I knew I got out of bed in the morning for a reason. (laughs) Holds up his gun. And then, yeah, he gets uh, an arrow. We see Miho jump off of a building, fire an arrow, and it hits him like right in the midsection. It's right through the... That's last. Okay. It's through the midsection. That's right. Look, there's an arrow. (laughs) Hey, look. You guys just see that? Look. Where'd this come from? Who did this? <laughs> and the little guy's like, there's something attached to it. He takes it off, hands the note to Minute, and it says, 
Um, I've got Jackie's head. Bring the girls out back. And Manute's like, let's go out back. Grab the girls. And then as they're all leaving, you see the guy with the swastika on his head. He's like, anybody going to help me? I need. I think I need a doctor. This is starting to hurt. Yeah. Oh, what are we going to do? And then another arrow comes through the window. Right, right through the, the guy's swastika. head. Right through the swastika. And the guy doesn't die. He's just like, oh, my God. And then we cut to in the alleyway. We see all the bad guys. We see Dwight at the one end on like a heap of stone watching all the bad guys descend into this tunnel or into this alleyway. Dwight says it's dozens of them, dozens and dozens of them. It's just a bunch of guys coming down the alleyway with Manute, with the girls in front of them, holding guns on them. Dwight has the severed head of Jackie, Jackie's severed head in his hand, just holding it by the hair. And immediately Becky's like, wait, something's not right. Something, it doesn't make any sense. Wait a minute. And Manute's like, shut up. Or no, the little guy has a gun to her. And he's like, you shut up or I'm going to plug you. Um, and Dwight is like, you give me Gail, I'll give you the head. He's like, Manute's like, all right. Pushes Gail forward. Gail goes up to Dwight. <laughs> and we should also mention that uh, Jackie is still talking. Yes, because he holds up the head and he's trying to talk <laughs> shut <behind> up. the gags. <laughs> and Dwight's just like, shut up, Jackie. Um, he hands the severed head to one of Manute's men. Manute's man, man grabs the head and brings it up to Manute. But he doesn't hand it to... Manute doesn't grab it. He just like raises it in front of Manute to look at. Um, and then Manute's like, why would I let you go? I have what I need. I could just kill you guys right now. And then Becky immediately clocks. He's like, oh, wait a minute. No. There was no tape over his mouth. Yeah. Why is there tape on his mouth? And immediately Manute sees this, sees Dwight, and then Dwight raises a detonator. And Manute's like, McCarthy, you... And then, boom, the bomb goes off. It doesn't kill anybody, but it does knock everyone on their ass immediately. So Manute looks at Dwight, and he's like, that was a stupid fucking move. And then immediately, right when he says that, we see all these women at the edge of the building... Uh, up above up, them. Up above them, just uh, like like 30, 40 women, all with guns trained on everybody in the alleyway. And I don't think they say anything. I think they just start unloading. Yeah, and there's an inner monologue. From Dwight. He's like, we're not doing this because it'll help people later on. We're not doing this for revenge. We're doing this so uh, Wallenquist, uh, the head of the mob, will, which is someone who is mentioned throughout the entire, entire Sin City series. We see him later on in the series as well. But it, it, we only get a mention of him in the this movie anyway. I feel like I got a burp. Uh, but Dwight says, we are doing this so Wallenquest will know at the end of the day. It's n- too costly to try to take back Old, Old Town. Old Town, yeah. And then he says something because Gail reaches behind him and grabs a gun and yeah, they starts just, reveling in he, battle. Yeah, he says, she, my warrior woman. She brings, or he brings back up my warrior woman. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, she doesn't even break uh, uh, her stride or anything like that. She just laughing and cackling as she's just spraying bullets or some shit like that. And then uh, they end up kissing and he's like, I love you, baby. And then she says, always, always and never. never. And then we cut to uh, the last big story in this, the rest of the, well, the back half of the first story. Uh, Cause they kind of book the, the uh, yellow bastard story. Yep. So, uh, and it's Hardigan waking up in a hospital bed. And in it, we have Senator Rourke standing at the end of the bed. And he is like, look, you killed my, or nearly tried to kill my son. Um, And I've now got just the world's greatest scientists or medical experts trying to figure out how to grow his hand and his pecker, which you blew off, back so I can have my air. And then he points a gun at 
uh, Hardigan. And Hardigan doesn't say a word through any of this until whenever he starts talking to Nancy. He doesn't say a word through any of this. He's like, he points a gun at Hardigan. You see, that's true power, me pointing this gun at you. Power doesn't come from a badge or a gun. Power comes out of lying and lying big and getting the whole damn world to play along with you. Once you got everybody agreeing with what they know is in their hearts ain't true, you got them trapped. You're the boss. You can turn reality on its head and they'll cheer you on. You can make a saint out of a gibbering nutcase like my high and mighty brother. You can beat your wife to death with a baseball bat like I did and leave your fingerprints all the hell over it and a dozen witnesses will swear on a stack of Bibles you were thousands of miles away. Now, I wanted to say that line because it's fucking going on now, Ryan. To the fucking letter that is fucking going on right now with everything that's been going on in politics with one particular man. Fucking hell. It's unbelievable. Like, there are things that people will straight up know isn't true, but they will believe it because one man contests that it is not true. And because that one man said it's not true, it must not be true, Ryan. Anything right. else is just a conspiracy to bring him down. That's why I wanted to point it out, because it's very fucking poignant to what's going on right now. I mean, when he wrote that, you would obviously have politicians that would say one thing and do another. Right. But to the point of being so spot on to what this ha- what is said in this book right here, it was always just in a generalized statement. Until we've had 2016 and everything we've had up since Since then. then. It's never been more on point. And I wanted to point that out, that Frank Miller is a soothsayer, Ryan. (laughs) Much like the Simpsons. and (laughs) Because that whole family is run like the Rourkes are run in this fucking... They're they're just one step away from one one members of the family being part of the clergy. Like everything else, it's always about... They're the modern-day Borgia. That the whole 45 and his family are the modern-day Borgia, where they're trying to get everybody into different points of politics right. and different points of power. Power. It's fucking insane. Um, so Rourke, basically, after he makes that speech, Rourke tells him that he's going to keep Hardigan alive. He's going to fix his bum ticker even, that he wants to make sure that Hardigan uh, pays for everything that he's done, and then just leaves. And then he's like, I didn't do anything wrong. And he's like, that's not what everyone will think. Yeah. And if you tell anybody, you tell your wife, you tell your partner, you tell the news, you tell that little girl that you saved, they're all dead. And then we cut to Nancy now in the room. Now in the comics, it plays out much different. So in the comics, we get Hardigan being visited by several cops that want to take down Rourke and they have all this evidence, but they just need one person that has been dealing with the Rourkes and in a manner like Hardigan's been dealing with to who's help them. Willing to, who's willing, but Hardigan doesn't say anything. And they get pissed off at him and they just tell him, fine, fuck you. Then Rourke, or Hardigan is then visited by his wife and his wife's like, I don't believe anything they say. Just tell me, tell me what I need to do. Tell me that's not true. Tell me what happened. And, Rourke, or, uh, and Hardigan doesn't say anything and she gets pissed at him. She's like, fine, fuck you and leaves. And then he's visited by Nancy in the comics, and it plays out very similarly that we see here in the com- in the movie as well. But in this movie, uh, Nancy is now in front of him, and he's like, "Look, they wanted me to say that you molested me, and you tried to uh, rape me, and that, or that you did rape me, and all this." And I told them, "No, that's not true. I'm still a virgin and still alive, thanks to you." They even convinced my parents, thinking that it was you that tried to hurt me, and they're not listening to me at all. And I don't know what to do. And Hargan's like, "You know what, I." The truth ought to matter, but sometimes it doesn't. 
um, what I need you to do now is just get away from me because they're just going to hurt you. And I need you to just run away. Just live with your parents. Forget all about me. Just let me die. And Nancy's like, no, that's not going to happen. You saved my life. Um, I'm going to write you every day. And Hargan's like, no, that's not a good idea. They'll be able to find you that way. And uh, Nancy's like, fine, I'll, I'll go under a, a pen name, Cordelia. She's always part of the name of a character from one of my favorite novels. He's like, all right, fine. Um, and then she fucks off. And right before she leaves, she's like, I love you, Hardigan. And then she leaves. And then Hardigan says, I love you too, baby. We then cut to a, a more inner, inner monologue of Hardigan saying, they want me to confess to everything, but I won't say a word. And it's just Hardigan beating pummeled by this fucking guy. And he's just bloody. He's a bloody mess at this point. We see, and because it's black and white, the thing that they decided to spot color is all the blood all over Hardigan. It's all down his shirt, all over his face. Mm -hmm. um, we have a woman in like the doorway uh, watching all this transpire, but the main guy is like beating the shit out of Hardigan. He's like, Hardigan, the high and mighty, the Mister by the law. Look at you now. He basically uh, taunts Hardigan into thinking that he's never going to survive this unless he confesses. And he's like, Look at Tammy here. I got her from Old Town. Uh, I brought her here to remind you that you will never have any of this ever again unless you confess to what happened. And Tammy like like grimaces at the idea of Hardigan fucking her. The guy notices like, oh look at that! Did you see that? She you can't stand her. her, or she can't stand you. You disgust her. She knows about what you did to that little girl. Um, Hardigan doesn't say a fucking thing throughout any of this. The guy stands in front of Hardigan again, looks at Hardigan, and then just pummels him a few a uh, few more times. We then cut to Hardigan in his cell. And he's just sitting there in his cell. He's like, uh, on Thursday, I got a letter. And he's like, Cordelia, she just writing me a note. She doesn't give any details about where she is or who she is, but it gives me enough to let me know that she's alive know and that well. Know that she's doing okay. Yep. And he's like, and um, I've come to realize that after a few of these, she'll just give up on me and just stop writing me entirely. But next Thursday, it fucking happens again. The following Thursday, it happens again. I get another letter. And then we hear just him whisper eight years later. And then we hear him say, and on on Thursday, I'm getting all giddy like a little girl again. I know that letter's coming. And then no letter. And he's like, what the fuck? They had to have found her. They had to have. There's no other explanation. Because it, for the past eight years, I've gotten a letter every day on Thursday. And now it's not here. My so sweet little Cordelia. They must have gotten to her. There's no other way. And then he's like, on then the next Thursday. That's it. They definitely got to her. There's no fucking other way. Or she, or she finally gave or, up. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And then he's like, no, think about it, Hardigan. She's 19 now. It's eight years after the fact. She's 19. She's a young woman. She forgot about you, old man. You're all alone. He curls up onto the, uh, like the floor of his cell and it just passes out. Um, he wakes up and immediately clocks the guy on his bed. He's like, this guy smells. He smells like bad food. He smells like a corpse left in a dumpster in the middle of summer. He's, I almost throw up. And it's in the comic books. It's this guy that's just yellow. They call him the yellow bastard. The yellow bastard. Um, he, the guy, the yellow bastard doesn't say anything. He's just sitting there looking at Hardigan. Hardigan just says, who are you? The guy stands up and then just punches Hardigan in the face, knocking him out. Uh, we wake up and Hardigan is now still on the floor, but there's an envelope. An envelope similar to what Nancy used to send her letters in, only it's got blood on it. Hardigan picks it up and he sees a soft, squishy uh, finger, what would be of the finger of a 19-year-old girl. And Hardigan immediately thinks, oh shit, they've got Nancy. And then he calls up the guard. In the comics, it, uh, once again, this story plays out a bit different. So in the comics, he also calls up the guard to confess. 
but Lucille is his um, defense attorney. And right when she call, he calls up her, she's like, oh, finally, you came to your senses. I've got all this evidence. We've got all these cops. They're ready and willing to testify in your favor to help you get out of this and help take down the Rourke's finally. And Hardigan's like, no, 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 this isn't happening. And immediately Lucille is like, what are you talking about? I'm confessing to all of it. And Lucille holds for a beat and then just punches Hardigan. And this is what happened in the comics. Punches Hardigan straight in the face. And she's like, all right, fine, let's do this. And then just walks in and it plays out similarly that it plays out in the movie. And he's being ushered into the parole board hearing or confession, whatever the fuck. He's in front of several people confessing. Mm-hmm. Um, he confesses to everything about a kidnapping Nancy Callahan, raping her, all those shit. And along with the other girls that went missing, they agree to release him with time served. He walks out and there outside of the jail cell is Bob. He's like, why don't I give you a ride home, Hardigan? And Bob's like, yeah. Or Hardigan is like, yeah, sure. As long as you stay in front of me. He's like, oh, are you still mad about that? It's all water under the bridge. I don't know what your issue is. And then Hardigan's just asking him questions about his uh, now ex-wife. And Bob's like, yeah, she's happy now. She's got two kids and a husband. And Hardigan's like, yeah, that's what she always wanted. She'll be a great mother. Where does he drop off? Oh, so he Bob ends up dropping uh, Hardigan off on Nancy's apartment steps. He walks up and Nancy's apartment has been ransacked. There's books and papers and just shit all over the place. Um, he then sees a, uh, a matchbook to a nearby bar. And I wrote this down because I don't know why. I found it stupidly funny. But on the matchbooks, it says liquor in the front, poker in the rear. <laughs> I don't know why. It's for Katie's bar. <laughs> Katie's bar, yes. Um, he uh, says that that's where I need to go. He walks into the bar and immediately he's like, there's no way in hell my Nancy would be associated with this bar. I don't know why I'm here. I need to fucking just leave. And then immediately he's like, look, miss. And he pulls Shelly off to the side. He's like, I'm looking for someone. He's like, aren't we all, Pilgrim? He's like, it's not like that. I'm looking for Nancy Callahan. Do you know where she is? And Shelly's like, look to the stage, Pilgrim. She'll, she just got started. Yeah, she just got started. And then Hardigan's like, oh, shit. Nancy, my Nancy is the one dancing up there. Now, in the, oh, I know I keep saying this, but in the comics, Nancy Callahan gets, she's a stripper. So she gets naked in the comics. But uh, whenever they cast Jessica Alba, Jessica Alba didn't know the character got naked, signed on for the part, read then, about the character, and immediately is like, I ain't doing I'm, this. If you want me to be naked, not fucking happen. I'll do everything but get naked. And Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller's like, yeah, they, she doesn't need to be naked, so by all means. That's fine. Yeah. I just think it's funny that uh, we're a rated R movie, but we're in a PG-13 strip club. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? there's no other dancer. It's just Nancy yep. dancing, and she's basically nearly clothed all the way. I mean, she's in like a chaps with like a, a, a bathing suit bottom and a bathing suit top. That's yeah. pretty much it. So Hardigan sees Nancy, and then he realizes, oh, shit. She's fine. The only reason they... Those bastards, they tricked me. Yep. They, they must wanted have, me to come out and find they her. They weren't able to find her. They knew I would be. And then he's like, ah, oh, that smell. That smell. I smell it again. And then he looks around the bar and he's like, oh, shit. He sees the yellow bastard off the side. He immediately starts leaving. He's like, please, I, I just need to get out of here. Need like, to get him outside the bar. Don't, don't let her recognize me. Like, at this point, I'm just an old man... Looking to get my jollies off. Looking to get my jollies off. Please don't let her notice me. Please don't let her notice me. And then right at the last second, we see from Nancy's 
point of view. She recognizes Hardigan, and then we see Nancy just all of it, everything just stops around it. She was twirling a lasso, she drops it, and then she recognizes, oh shit, it's Hardigan. She leaps over the bar, passing over Marv, so this is before Marv dies, um, and then hugs Hardigan right away. And she's like, Hardigan, I knew you'd come back. And she's like, Nancy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we need to get out of here, we need to get out of here right fucking now. And she's like, alright, let me go get my clothes on. And she's like, Nancy, or Nancy turns around, it's like, it's good to see you, Hardigan. I knew writing those letters was a good idea all this time. And Hardigan's like, yeah, it kept me alive. It kept me from killing myself several times over the years. Um, she walks away, gets close. They are now outside in her car. She, they're, approach, or, uh, they're approaching her car. They're not in her car just yet. And he's like, let me drive. And she's like, not a chance. There's no one else that can handle this car but me. They get in the car. I've, I've been feeling like I've had the burp the entire time. They drive off, and as they're driving off, um, Nancy's like, besides, I figured you would need to shoot from the way it sounds. And Hardigan's like, I don't have a gun. And Nancy's like, it's underneath the seat that you're in. Uh, he reaches, pulls out a big-ass uh, gun of some sort. I'm not sure what it is. Um, Nancy's like, it kicks like a mule. I think it's a revolver like he used to use. Because yeah. he saved her at the age of 11, and she fell in love with him. Yes. Like, she is in love with him. Yeah. And so everything, like, she tried to do everything to... Um, emulate him. His standards. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, as he's looking over the gun, then out of nowhere, uh, we see just a yellow, like, figure in a car right behind them starting to fire rounds at them. Na uh, Hardigan immediately is like, Nancy, you keep your eyes on the road. I'll deal with him. He leans outside the car. And he's not firing around at all. He's like, I just got to steady my shot, take my chances when I can't. Or uh, steady my arm to take the right shot at the right moment. My opponent is like tossing out bullets like they're candy or some shit like that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we see uh, the yellow bastard fire off a few more rounds. And then uh, Hardigan steadies his shot. And then boom, fires another round in through the main windshield, hits the yellow bastard in the neck. The car goes careening off the side, flips over into, like, the frozen lake. He gets back into the car, tells Nancy to slow the car down, stop it completely, we need to confirm the kill. Nancy's like, what? Uh, he's like, fucking stop the car, we need to confirm the kill. She's like, all right, I gotta stop the car, confirm the kill. And they go up to where uh, yellow bastard crash, and there's no yellow bastard, just yellow blood all over the place. And Hardigan's like, oh, he's nowhere to be found, but all his blood is here, and it smells just as bad as him. Um, they get back in the car, they drive off to a nearby motel, and Hardigan says, like, I can't believe we lost him, but that stink, it st stayed with us the entire time. I don't know how. Um, they get into the hotel room. Hardigan tosses his coat onto the nearby couch. Nancy does the same. And Nancy's like, I'm sorry, Hardigan. I thought I was stronger than that. And he's like, Nancy, you are strong. It was just, you got shook up a bit. It was a bit of a thing to take, you being fired at. And you had to race through a snowy street. There's nothing you could have done differently. You did fine. They're now sitting on the couch, and as they're having this conversation, we see outside a yellow figure pop out of their back seat as he's, like, trying to control, like, the blood spurting from his neck and trying not to cough too hard and all that. Mm -hmm. Hardigan's like, you need to get some sleep, Nancy, and I'll just stay here on the couch. And Nancy's like, why don't you sleep with me? And Hardigan's like, no, fuck no. No, this ain't fucking happening. Nancy, you're, as young, you're young enough to be my granddaughter or some shit like that. And Nancy's like, look, I love you. It's only been you. I've thought I've been in love with a few other people, but it's never been anything. It's always been you. And then she starts trying to make out with Hardigan. Hardigan's like, no, this ain't fucking happening. 
what are you thinking? And then he relinquished a, a little bit um, to where he starts like heavily making out with her, and then it just everything catches up to him. He's like, no, this ain't fucking happening. Not it's I'm, not right. It's not right. You're just you were just a little girl the last time I saw you. It's not fucking right. He goes into the uh, bathroom, take a shower, and we hear him say, yeah, I had to take a cold shower. <laughs> Um, we cut to him taking a shower, and he hears something in the bathroom in with him. And he immediately is like, no, Nancy, it's not happening. And the shower curtain rips open, and it's the yellow bastard. He punches Hardigan in the face. And then he says, do you recognize my voice, Hardigan? Do you recognize me? And then he's like, yes, Junior, I recognize your voice. We then cut to seconds later, and Hardigan is now hoisted up in the air, uh, by a noose attached to the fan with his arms and his legs bound as well with Nancy basically under the yellow bastard's like knife she's not moving she's like on the yellow bastard's like lap leaning over with a knife to her throat she's not moving um and Hardigan's like telling her don't scream Nancy don't scream he needs you to scream as the yellow bastard's on the phone yelling at uh, a couple of these guys yeah get the room ready make sure all my knives are there and everything and if it's not there if it's not perfect if it's not the way I want it I'm telling my dad he hangs up the phone. He tells Hardigan to basically go fuck himself. Um, that there's nothing you could have done. I need to thank you, Hardigan, because of what you were, did to me in taking away my hand and my uh, my dick. Um, my father spared no expense on trying to get I went those to grow all back. Of this to become what I am today. Yes, um, and with all that, I had all the time in the world to do all my extra activity, and I've killed hundreds, thousands of girls at this point. Um, he then uh, starts to walk away, and he's like, he, he mentions how old Nancy is, and he's like, you know what? I know she's a bit old, but th- for this one-time occasion, I think I can uh, muscle through it. He then kicks out the table from underneath Hardigan. Hardigan just starts choking at this point, um, and it blacks out. Cuts back to Hardigan. He's like, no, old man, you need to show you're worth the damn. Keep your neck stiff. Make sure it doesn't break. Make sure you don't get choked out. Starts swinging back and forth. He starts swinging back and forth. He kicks out the window, thinking that there may be an alarm to the window. There's no alarm, but there is pieces of broken glass now on his feet. He grabs a piece of it, brings it up to his wrists, uh, uses the glass to cut the rope. He does, ends up getting himself out. But as he's dealing with all that, we see a car pull up. Uh, what, what is her name? Schlub and Clump pulling up as well. They get into the apartment. And they're having some sort of like Shakespearean argument back and forth about the car that they ended up hoisting. Uh, or, ho- yeah, hoisting is the correct term. Yeah. Stealing. <laughs> the little guy is once again yeah. pontificating. <laughs> like, may I may I inquire as to why you, with all of the choices you could have made, made one so frivolous as to get a sports car? I want to read this in entirety because it goes on for a little while. It is inclement upon me to comment with marked displeasure on your rash impulsiveness in selecting such an eye-catching and impractical car to heist, Mr. Schlub. Protest though you might, Mr. Club, you might. You must nonetheless admit to the sheer phallic uh, majesty, majesty of said Ferrari's performance. Sorry, I read that fucking wrong. Protest though you might, Mr. Clump, you must nonetheless admit to the sheer phallic majesty of said Ferrari's performance. An engine of cyclopean power throbs beneath this steel stallion's hood. (laughs) And then it continues. Uh, Point readily conceded, Mr. Schlub, but this vehicular structure on which you so 
amorously fixate could garner us attention of the law enforcement variety and is plainly ill-suited for the mission at hand. Be this as it might, this, mis- this trusting manhood of this automotive juggernaut has transformed our tawdry task into an experience as profound as it is ejaculatory. <laughs> I shall take your apologies under uh, reconsideration, Mr. Schlub. Once again, you have my succame. You once again, you have succumbed to the passion of the moment, leaving you bereft of the slightest macadam of civility. Fucking wordy little shits is what they are. Yep. <laughs> As they're having this conversation, they come into the uh, hotel room, and there is nobody hanging from the ceiling like they were clearly told to come and get. Uh, on the other side of the door, Hardigan slams the door shut, knocks out the big guy, takes the little guy brings him up to the window, and is about to impale him on like a shard of glass that's still attached to the window, and uh, immediately says, tell me where they went, or I'm going to fucking put you through this goddamn piece of glass. And uh, the guy's like, I don't know who you're talking about. He's like, no, speak plainly. Fucking tell me where they went. He's like, the farm. And we cut to now Hardigan's back in the car, and he's like, they didn't explain any further. Any cop worth their salt knows what the farm is. He drives up. And immediately he starts taking out, he gets out of the car. He says he's ditched the car about a mile away from the farm. And as he's walking up, he starts having an an angina attack. And he's like, I thought they fixed that. There's no way. Uh, I just need to get through this. Come on, old man. Show them they're worth a damn. He walks up to the farm. He's like, I need to do this quietly. He starts taking out a few of the guards that are nearby. He hears some sort of like whipping going on. He's not sure what it is. He hears, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And some sort of like muffled like yelling. Um, we cut to inside the barn, and it's Nancy like hoisted like in midair as the yellow bastard is just yelling at her, whipping, whipping her, her repeatedly. She's not screaming; she's whimpering a bit from the actual whipping uh, itself. But he wants her to scream. He's like, "Yo, yeah, you like that? You like that?" As he keeps whipping her and whipping her. Yeah, I'm just getting started. And then she's like, "You're pathetic." Hardigan told me that you wouldn't be able to get it up without hearing me scream. You're just pathetic. He's like, you think this is the worst I can do? You don't even know what the hell you, uh, the worst I can do or some shit like that. We cut to outside. We see Hardigan knife a guy in the throat. And as he deals with that guy, he's walking up to the barn. And then immediately a few shots ring out. He gets hit in the shoulder. He's like, you stupid old man. You should have been uh, more quiet. And as these two guys that shot the rounds come up behind Hardigan, we hear them say, quickly, uh, put a few more rounds in him before he gets up. And then Hardigan immediately pops up takes his guns out, and puts a few rounds in the guys, and he's like, good advice. These guys drop to the ground. The yellow bastard has seen this exchange happen. He's like, son of a bitch, runs back into where uh, Nancy is. Now Hardigan is slowly walking into the barn, and as he walks into the barn, he sees the yellow bastard with Nancy in his hands with a knife to her throat, descending steps as he does. And the yellow bastard's like, look at you. You can't even lift that cannon. And as uh, Hardigan says, sure I can, he starts lifting it, and he can't. And he drops to the ground, having another angina episode. He's like, ah, look at you, you old fuck. Um, the yellow bastard tosses Nancy off to the side. He's like, I'm going to do you real slow. And as uh, yellow bastard walks up, he's like, no, you're not, Junior. And he stabs uh, the yellow bastard right in the gut. The yellow bastard falls over. Nancy's watching all this happen. And she's got like a smirk on her face the entire time. We hear a monologue from Hardy. And he's like, I take his weapons away from him. He takes the gun out of, or the knife out of uh, Junior's hand, tosses it. And then he proceeds to grab Junior's dick, his yellow both dick. Both of them. Uh, yeah, he says, I take his weapons away, both of them. 
takes uh, the guy's dick and just rips it off. He Yellow Bastard screams out in pain, and then Hardigan just pummels the guy's head into the ground. I'm not even pummels, fucking like destroys it, obliterates it. Just uh, it's just and he says as much. At some point, I just forgot what I was hitting and was just mashing bone into goddamn wood. At this point, the head is gone. It's just mush. There's nothing there. We see the body still there, like twitching and shit, but there's nothing left of the of Junior. He grabs Nancy, ushers them out. He gives Nancy her coat that's uh, in the Ferrari. They're now at the Ferrari, and she's like, "Oh, thank you for bringing my coat. Um, let's get out of here." And Hardigan's like, "No, no, you run along." And Nancy's like, "Why aren't you coming with me?" And Hardigan's like, "Look, I've got enough evidence. I'm gonna help blow this case wide open. The this isn't gonna happen. We're to gonna take else. down the." We're going to take down the Rourke's and I'm going to clear my name and we're going to be able to live free after this. And, and then like, I'll join you later. We'll be able to celebrate. Be everything that you want to be. Yep. Um, Nancy says, I love you hard again. He says, I love you, baby. She drives off. And then we hear internal monologue. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go after the Rourke's. After that, I'm just going to go out and punch out God. Yeah, then we'll go punch God. Uh, there's not a D in the world, DA in the world that would take on the Rourke's. Being that his legacy is now gone, uh, Senator Rourke... He's going to be mad. He's going to be real pissed. And we see just Senator Rourke at his desk, just thrashing everything off of his desk, pissed that uh, his son is now dead. And uh, Hardigan is like, look, he's going to come after me. He's going to come after me in a big way. And the only way he's going to do that is through Nancy. And if I'm gone, Nancy's safe. There's There's no reason for him to go after her. And then he says, an old man dies. A young young woman woman lives. lives. Fair Fair trade. trade. Puts the gun to his head and pulls the trigger. Um, so the silhouette that we see of the the all white silhouette of him putting the gun to his forehead. So it's a bit different in the comics. So we just see him put well, the in gun in his mouth. Well, no, in the comics, it, he just puts it to his temple. No, I was saying in the movie, like he puts it in his mouth. I thought he put it to his forehead. Oh yeah, you're right. He does to his forehead, and then it blows out the back. Yeah. yeah. So for whatever reason, I had it in his mouth, and it blows out the top. No, but, it goes yeah, out the back of his head. Um, but in the comics, you just see the gun go up to his head. And you just hear, see the words boom across the next panel. But the silhouette that we see in this is for a different character from a dame to kill for. So there's a whole slew of things that I don't really want to go into right now. But there's a character that ends up killing himself. And that silhouette of him putting the gun to the front of his head, mm. pulling the trigger with the blood coming out of the back of his head, that's that character's silhouette. They just took it from that and put it for harder again, which is very, it's the way it plays out, it's very similar. It's just in a different context. Right. Um, anyway, and that's the end of Hardigan. And then as uh, it cuts to black, we then cut back to Becky in a hospital, walking down a hospital bed, her arm in a sling. Because while she, well, that's what we forgot to mention, is uh, while Manute and all his men were being just laid to waste by uh, Gail and all her uh, prostitute friends. She jumped and hid under she, something. Some sort of like edge, like sewer well type thing. I for one of the buildings. I'm not sure what it was. She, but she hid there and she got hit by one of like, a stray bullet of some sort. But she's now in the hospital with her arm in a sling. And she's talking to her mom. She's like, no, mom, I'll be fine. I'll be home real shortly. She walks into an elevator and immediately clocks the guy that's in the elevator with her. And it's Josh Hartnett, the hitman from the beginning of the movie. She immediately knows who he is. She closed the, closes the elevator door. She's like, mom, I've got to go. Uh, he taps Becky on the shoulder. He's like, Becky. She turns around, and she is 100% certain she knows who he is. He's like, do you want a cigarette? Uh, She says, Mom, I've got to go. I love you. She hangs up the phone, 
And then she, uh, Josh Hartnett says, walk down the right back alley in Sin City and you, and you can, can find, find anything. anything. Credits start rolling. It's a great movie. I really enjoy this. We'll talk about the sequel here in a few days. Um, I'm interested because the next one's just called A Dame to Kill For, so it's more centralized on the actual A Dame to Kill For storyline. Let's get to the critic score for this movie. It's a bit lower than what I thought because I remember, obviously, it had a profound effect on us. So we were all about this right. movie, but I thought this movie was much bigger than what, is, what it actually was. Um, but the critic score on this movie was 77%. The audience score was 78%. I thought it would be in like the 80-90 range because in my world, Ryan, this movie was huge. Right. The budget for this movie is only $40 million. For what they do in this movie, it's not fucking I bad. I thought it was a little bit more than that. No. I thought it was around 60. No, it's 40. I looked oh. it up on a um, box office mojo. That Okay. And it was 40. Um, opening weekend made $28.1 million domestically, $74.2 million altogether. Internationally, $84.7 million altogether. And $2,005, $158.8 million. Now... In 2021 dollars, with a 41.6% increase, 56.7 for the budget, 39.8 million dollars for opening weekend, 105.1 million dollars for domestically altogether, 110 million internationally altogether, and then altogether for all of it domestic and internationally, 224.9 million dollars in 2021 dollars. Quarter million. So this first movie made a ridiculous amount of money for just being a 40 million dollar budget movie. Yeah. So. I understand why a sequel was made. I don't understand why it took nearly 10 years right. for a sequel to be made. But yeah, that's the next one we're going to watch, The Dame to Kill For. Then after that, um, as a palate cleanser, Ryan, we are going to watch Dick Tracy. It's a one-off. It's one of those, like, it, the story is shit, but it's one of those important... It's one of those important, like, special effects movies, where it's, the story isn't great, yeah. but the special effects in that oh movie are God. just phenomenal. Oh, fucking Dick Tracy. Um, and then, mouth. And then for the rest of the year, we're going to watch, because uh, uh, Sin City 2 will come out at the beginning of December, then Dick Tracy, second week of December, and then the last two weeks are going to be Gremlins 1 and 2. Um, so I'm for it. Yep. Um, they're both Christmas movies, so it'll work. Pretty. And then beginning of next year, we'll do the new Matrix that's coming out at the end of December. Is that when it's coming out? I wasn't sure when it was coming out. But if, yeah, if it's coming out sure, I just. Uh, Thanksgiving dinner, we were watching football, and I saw the preview for it. I'm pretty sure it said this Christmas. Oh. Uh, then, yeah, that works. I haven't figured it out next year, so yeah, that works. Anyway, that is pretty much all I got. Uh, that's pretty much all I've got, too. Make sure to comment, rate, subscribe. Tell us what you think about Sin City. As you've as you've heard, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty formative for me and Greg. We yes. both really fucking love this movie. It's got a really... Uh, I, I fell re-in love with this movie and this this entire property all over again. I started reading all the books again. I was in the middle of reading several things, but I was like, no, I'm dropping nope. all that. <laughs> and I started City. reading all the Sin City books again. I fucking fell in love with everything all over again. But yeah, tell us what you think. Um, did I already do? Make sure to comment, rate, subscribe. Yeah, I did. Because yep. that's always before I tell yeah. them to tell me what you think about the movie that we're talking about. Yeah. And um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Nerdinian. You can also follow me on both those platforms at that wanker. Uh, you can also follow me on TikTok at that wanker without an E. And remember, hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you can see it, then you'll never make it through the night. I'm a mog, half man, half dog. I'm my own best friend. Thank <laughs> you.